Nation. Welcome everyone to May 27th, 1989 in the Legacy Series. It is Des Moines, Iowa. It is a return to Saturday night's main event. It is really starting to feel like WrestleMania becomes our reset time. Chapter over time to begin another story. I don't know if that starts to capture the magnitude of WrestleMania. These amazing feuds we've had at least the last three years. The fact that the world title is now changing hands more and more often. I just crunched the numbers like two seconds ago. And if I'm not wrong, and I might be, from WrestleMania 4 onward, the world title is going to change hands every single year until Diesel, of all people, puts an end to that. So we're seeing some changes. We're seeing some shifts. We are starting to see, in my mind, a difference between WWF and WCW, as it felt like WCW never had a shape that you could bank on. They came and they went. But now we're starting to really see things. And although today Hulk Hogan will bring a feud from the last chapter over when he wrestles big boss man in a steel cage, he will also come face to face with what is next for himself and the World Wrestling Federation. Meanwhile, Randy Savage begins to regather his life. Plus, we have a whole lot of bonus stuff, ladies and gentlemen. The hype is back. Grab your shovel because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague. He is Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. It is indeed post-WrestleMania 5. It's a different world. It's the same in some ways, different in many others. We got a lot to talk about today. It is the May 27th episode of Saturday Night's Main Event from 1989. Randy Savage is now with Sensational Sherry. Big Boss Man is taking on Hulk Hogan in his steel cage. The Brain Busters are fighting demolition for the Tag Team Championships of the World. We got bonus content. We got a look ahead at a great team known as High Energy that people don't talk about enough. We've got Hercules, who we love to talk about on this show. We have Ted DiBiase taking on the future in Bret Hart. We got a lot of stuff on this show. I'm very excited about it. I hope that you are as well. Absolutely. I'm going to put you on the spot for one second, Ms. Fan. Um, I just did this before the show went on. I didn't put any thought into it. Uh, I went just felt sense responses. I could change my mind in five minutes. But I want us this WrestleMania. We're five years in. That's a big deal for WrestleMania. I would like for us to list from least favorite main event to favorite main event. And I will just say do it how you want to, because one of them I, I included story. And some of them, because I don't think you can separate story from the match, but yet some of them, a couple of them, a couple of them would not make sense with story. A couple of them would. I just went like quick felt sense. So we got, uh, as you know, let's hit it real quick for the fans. Uh, WrestleMania 1, you got Hogan and Mr. T taking on Orndorff and Piper. WrestleMania 2, you got Hogan and Bundy in a cage. WrestleMania 3, Hogan and Andre. WrestleMania 4, Randy Savage versus Ted DiBiase. And WrestleMania 5, Randy Savage versus Hulk Hogan. So if you want to feud and match, match however you want to say it. We're going to go least favorite to favorite. This is fans. We do not stand by this for the rest of our lives. <laughs> We're just throwing some stuff out there. Least favorite 
WrestleMania main event so far. Oh, man. Yeah, all right. That was a little bit on the spot, but uh, I think I can pull it out pretty quickly. So from least to fa- least to, to best. Um, Just give us one, the least favorite, and least, I'll give you mine. And we'll go okay, all right. Well, least favorite, I think um, i got to put number one on there. Uh, it's got Mr. T in it. Um, it's kind of a it, – it's, it's fine. Like, none of these are bad. It's a tag team match. They don't really know what they want to do yet. Um, it's got its good points, but I would probably put number one at the bottom of the list. I had I went with WrestleMania one as well. Not a bad matchup, not a bad idea, not a bad feud. I like what they're trying to do, but I had to look it up. I thought there was like three on two. I couldn't remember who was on which side. <laughs> so WrestleMania one at number five for me as well. All right, all right, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, let's see, at number four. It's very uh, completely felt sense of me, but I I I, I gotta go with number four actually. You know, um, you've got Savage, you've got DiBiase, who are both great, but we talked about how. It seemed kind of dampened on the night. Plus, you've got Hulk Hogan running around. It's a good match. I appreciate it, but uh, I'm putting it at number four here. I promise you, fans, we did not talk about this. <laughs> I literally put Miz fan on the spot, and I put myself on the spot because I thought about this on my walk over, and I did not allow myself to think at all. And I surprised myself because at number four, I went WrestleMania four. There's something about that night. I love the idea. I love the build that led to it, but there's something underwhelming about it. It's not bad again, but it's underwhelming comparing comparatively. I went Randy Savage and Ted DiBiase at number four. We're going to have the same list. I'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> we're just very in sync about these things. I think. Um, all right. So number three for me, uh, I got to go with WrestleMania two King Kong bunny taking on Hulk Hogan. Uh, it's a match. I really enjoy I think it's classic uh, Hogan at his best, and that's not the best style for me as a fan. But if you're going to do it, you can do it well. And they did it well with Bundy. They had a nice little build for it. They had the steel cage. Uh, it's a good match, so uh, I'll put that at number three. At number three, I went big blue cage. <laughs> I went high-energy Hulk Hogan, an opponent that they lifted up and was a kind of that first big man feud. I don't know if it's just the color of the event when I think about it, how it makes me feel, but I really, really, really was a big fan of Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy, and that was an upset for me, but number three, I got WrestleMania 2. Yep, yep, me as well. Uh, There's no way we don't have the same list, so uh, (laughs) at number two, uh, I have the WrestleMania we just covered, Randy Savage taking on Hulk Hogan, Uh, also a good match. I would say just in terms of being matches, a lot of these are very close to each other, but uh, little things kind of separate them out. Here, of course, it's the big story that goes into it. Um, definitely one of the best stories they've done, topped only perhaps by the one that uh, we're going to talk about at number one. This is a weird uh, thing here as we go to number two and number one, because there is a possibility when we look back on this thing, that one of my favorite things that I've ever called with Midsand on the Legacy series uh, is the feud and the matchup, which shocked me and just became so much more than I knew it was going to be. It was one of my favorite times to stay in. I'm still getting over not being in it anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, at number two for me, it's Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage, mm-hmm. WrestleMania 5. Yep, yep. As I suspected, completely uh, uncoordinated, we do have the exact same list. Um, it's a, I think it's something about we've experienced it together in the same way, in the same time, in kind of maybe sort of similar places in our lives. We've kind of shaped each other's fandom for a while now, and uh, I don't know, whatever the reason, we do have the same list because at number one, of course, 
nothing can really top it. It's so much more than a slam and uh, some bad reputation, which is completely unearned. It is Hogan versus Andre, which has a beautiful story and is a very compelling match, in my opinion. I thought, okay, I'll I'll say first. The reason I went number one with WrestleMania 3 is not only is it it's just slightly, it's one notch above WrestleMania 4, but even if it had been on the same notch, the same level, you don't get Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan for a year with that kind of platform without what Hulk Hogan and Andre demonstrated successfully together. It just is a step above. It is iconic, and it is so much more than a slam. And I honestly thought Miz Fan was going to chastise me for the list. That's part of the reason I did this. But he didn't chastise me. We had the same list. Number one, WrestleMania 3. Man, it's going to be a long time, I think, before we get a WrestleMania final match that is better than that one. You have to go farther for that than you will for the title change that you just talked about. So. Wow. I got to think about that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I guessing. Mean, mileage may vary. You could take uh, – it's controversial, but the Shawn Michaels Bret Hart Iron Man could be it for some people uh, because it's a wrestling match in a way that uh, a lot of these other ones are not. But uh, some people – would rather die than watch that match again. So that's by no means um, conclusive. Jeez, beyond that, I mean, you got the Austin stuff, but a lot of that is not, you know, beloved yeah. in terms of, like, the match itself. Oh, man, 15, 16, 17. Austin Rock, I guess, at 17, that's a match that people kind of love. Um, I think it's a little overrated. That's very far in the future, but I think most people would uh, pick that conclusively. I don't know. That's a long ways ahead, though. That's impressive. And also, this might also make some people upset, but, and I'm not going to say, like, I could think Diesel and Sean, you know, I'm not going to, but I could, because I'm not saying anything conclusively, because we don't do that on the show, but Michaels and Brett, like, I don't think that I would even think that it is, but we'll we'll watch it, but even if it were, I think the fact that neither of them are going to be nearly as successful, and this is a controversial take, but they're not going to do anything on the level that Hogan and Andre did. Uh, Brett will do some amazing things. Sean will do some amazing things. But, like, if that matchup is so great, it ought to launch them to a new orbit, and they're not going to get launched to a new orbit until Steve Austin and Mr. McMahon, the Attitude Era, comes along. So I just don't know. This is you got to put it. You're talking about Hogan and Andre, and the weird thing for us is, or at least I will say for myself, not only is it one of the most iconic feuds, the iconic characters, groundbreaking uh, time in wrestling history, but here's children. Children, sit down and pull pull you pull the speaker close to your ears. <laughs> it's also a great matchup for what it's supposed to be. It actually is. Context, context. I don't know. You have just shattered maybe the the, the rest of this series. <laughs> oh man, yeah. No, it's weird to think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if you love uh, Michael's Diesel, which I don't, I think it's kind of crap. Oh, I don't. Um, but uh, it's not even the main event of its WrestleMania. That's right. <laughs> I'm just throwing out any of them though. I just want to say, you know, to keep our to keep what we say intact. Sure. Hogan versus Yokozuna might be better than Hogan and Andre. I don't know till I watch it, <laughs> but I kind of do, you know. Yeah, it isn't. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Miss is gonna ruin everything, folks. Uh... <laughs> yes. The unearthing is done. Put your shovel back in the garage. Stop. No, who's, who's carrying a shovel to listen to a podcast, folks? Stop being weird. It's over. There's nothing to unearth. Well, we struck Hogan Yokozuna. That was enough. So, Man. Because uh, 
I think maybe before we started this podcast, so I'm talking about what, you know, a few months slash a couple of years, depending on wherever we started WrestleMania 1. Right. I, I would have still been saying, like, yeah, I liked Hulk Hogan and Andre, but it definitely was a prisoner of its time. And it's just, you know, it's, it's okay, but it's overrated. It's, it's part of the reason our WWF was so good then, Hulk Hogan and Andre. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably would have been one of those people. But, folks, we, we've sat through everything. And, God, if you don't, what do you want? If that didn't do it for you, like, what are these other matches doing that are superior as far as storytelling, as far as just pinnacle peak, as far as the right people at the right time? There's so many factors that go into this, and especially with WWF, I feel like you cannot separate, fully separate the match from the storyline that gets you there. Mm. I just read a uh, really great Jake Roberts quote. I think it was Jake Roberts. He, he says um, something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing a lot, but something to the effect of uh, wrestling today is all about image, about the way it looks, and wrestling in the past is all about emotion and the way it feels. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think that's fair as a blanket statement, but as a felt sense statement. Yeah. Um, I mean, the greatest wrestling has an emotional component more so than uh, an image component. So I, it was a very, um, it hit me, even though I didn't 100% agree with it, because I think there is emotion in some of today's wrestling. But uh, but you, you understand what he's getting at, and it's a quote that I think uh, is very meaningful. Yeah. I think he's prone to overstate, but he's also often right to a degree. And I exactly. think that's it there. I'll replace that with JRPGs and a lot of other things that I would agree Um it just it's become so easy because visually we can every year do something that we've never done before. So, and folks, that's easier. That's easier. It's easier. It's easier than having a history that never ends. Having characters that have to own their actions. Having organic people who speak their minds and don't read scripts. You know, when when the script is written by the same person, are you and your opponent even in a feud, or are you also the same person? So, you know, a lot goes into this stuff and. I had no idea we'd have the same list, but here we are, WrestleMania three. <laughs> I'm so tickled by that. I yeah. If you had asked me, like, are you two gonna have the same list? I'd say, well, probably close, but no, I don't think we'll have the exact same list. We have the exact same list because we're in sync. I love this stuff. I love this show. It's a great show. Yeah, absolutely. I thought maybe putting WrestleMania four so low might uh might be where we switched up and then I thought at least a tiny possibility that you know, if you had given me time to like pre game the list, I probably would have put it higher. I probably would have talked to talk myself into putting it a yeah. little bit higher. But uh just like in the moment it was just a little underwhelming. Like on paper it's the best match by far. Um but uh yeah, I don't know. It just uh, on the night it was not it was not what you kinda hoped it would be. No, and I did the same thing. I was on my walk over, and I just just put them together. I did not allow any thought. It was just kind of, hey, this is what it felt like. And it's weird because WrestleMania two is one of the upset, like to be the third. Sure. That's a big deal. And at the same time, WWF has come so far that I feel like an eighty eight or eighty nine that would definitely be a Saturday Night's main event matchup, and not WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, the change just in that time is significant, but man. King Kong Bundy was so great, so I gotta I gotta reshape that just a little bit because if things were fair, he could still be main eventing WrestleManias under the right circumstances. So that that's my feeling. That would mean he would have to bump either <laughs> uh, the world title, he had to win the world title, or uh, 
take Randy Savage or Hulk Hogan's place in WrestleMania five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, as far as that goes, I guess it probably couldn't happen. I'll say it in some eras, he still could have made a event at WrestleMania. Yeah, and he will probably. He'll probably get a he'll get a smack at old Diesel uh, at some point. <laughs> I'm sure. Fair enough, but yes, in terms of uh, attaching great meaning to their WrestleMania main events, uh, the WWF have really upped their game at WrestleMania three and uh, four and five have kind of continued uh, these more meaningful events and six. I mean, well, that depends on uh, what you want to say, but hey, you know, Bundy could have been an Iraqi sympathizer. Why not? Yeah. You know, that could have been fine for him. So, you want to put him in face paint and let him win the world title against Hogan too. I'm also okay with that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'm sure he can do a splash as well. He could probably even jog to the ring, you know, get blown up, but so does yeah. Warrior. So, you know, what's the difference? Maybe he can military press someone without, you know, ending them. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah. Apparently, Honky Tonk Man never let him do a military press again after the first time they did it as well, so... Well, I then have to praise the uh, common sense of the Honky Tonk Man, which is maybe something I should have been doing all along, uh, even though I don't like his wrestling, but uh, especially now. Man, anyone in wrestling who's able to put their foot down and say, no, we're not doing that, uh, is kind of impressive to me, because not enough people do that. Yes, I agree. I will also say that this is a weird bonus session, because Miz Fan had so many great bonus matches on the table, and I kind of went against my felt sense in some of them just because... I thought there were some things that maybe needed to be done. So it's, it's a different list than what I usually would have picked in response to what he put on the table. But we'll get into that. We got a lot, Ms. Fan. What do you think about the episode in front of us? I think it's great. We had um, a real wealth of matches to pick from this. Uh, I kind of looked from May, uh, from March to May of 1989. And we probably could have picked, like, any number of combinations of matches and still had a great show. So there's a lot of great stuff in this period, in the ring, for whatever kind of wrestling you like. It's well worth checking out, even beyond the stuff that we are talking about. But, as I posted in a few places, we got certain matches for our bonus content. We got one segment and uh, a lot of stuff that we're going to have to just uh, parse through here. So, I am ready to get started, if you are. Absolutely. Where do you want to start? All right. I like to do things uh, chronologically in the order that they happen. So, I'm going to take us back to actually, I think, even a little bit before WrestleMania 5 to pick up a bonus match that we missed. It is Ted DiBiase taking on Bret Hart on the March 20th episode of Primetime Wrestling. He definitely got a little bit of a uh, generational class here. It's kind of the present against the future. One of the few uh, big Bret Hart singles matches we have seen so far. Yeah, so I absolutely picked this one in part to try to give Ted DiBiase some redemption because, man, <laughs> WrestleMania five that beefcake matchup is yeah. flat, and I did not want to leave him there. And I also thought, hey, Bret Hart, you know, we need to keep the, checking this guy's meter, check where he's at, because he's going to carry us through about half of the 1990s in this Legacy series. You know, it's funny. You could have just thrown, uh, sorry, Greg Valentine, but you could have thrown Rhythm and Blues and Brutus Beefcake off of WrestleMania, just had this match exactly the way it is, and uh, people would probably talk about it as a really good WrestleMania match. So, you know, yep. it shows what you could have been doing if you're just going to have random-ass matches anyway. <laughs> and fewer matches, it sounds like. Uh, that's exactly. Awesome. I for that. Yep, you got it. Take away Honky Tonk Man's paycheck, then see what happens. <laughs> uh, well, oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to put Honky Tonk Man with Brutus Beefcake, so yeah, we're kind of mm. stuck there. So. 
Oh boy. All right. Uh, so <laughs> My biggest surprise. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, we got Tony Schiavone on most of these matches, so that exactly. wasn't something. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, okay. Tony Schiavone, Mr. Human Suit himself, is on the call with Alfred Hayes, who's another odd duck. So we got an interesting little commentary team. Another hot take here. I wonder, because he, he is a human suit, and it feels like he's different in WWF. Like he's, not, he's not a human being, Tony. He's just kind of, you know, shorter selections of comments like, and Bret Hart is coming to the ring, and then, like, you're done, and then you have another comment. And I really think that he might have been a more polished and more successful Tony Schiavone if he had stayed in WWF. I think, um, if, if I remember right, you talked before about how he talked about it, he was actually kind of happier in WWF. Um, than he was in WCW, and I think that might be reflected here, and I think you're also seeing a Tony who is a little less comfortable. I, I would say he was too comfortable mm. at times in WCW yes. and just felt free to kind of say whatever the hell he wanted, and uh, you definitely don't get that with Vince McMahon standing over your shoulder, so maybe a little bit more of a professional Tony Schiavone, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, because the more... It's weird because most time in wrestling, the more human people become the more I like them. But if you're not a human who's becoming more human, I, sometimes it doesn't go as smoothly. <laughs> you know, it's funny. For being a human suit, and we find we find this man inscrutable at times due to his alien monster ways, see <laughs> Halloween Havoc 93. Um, so what else? I, I saw a tweet, I think just yesterday, and I thought it was true, that Tony Schiavone is the kind of guy where you can kind of watch him for about five seconds and you know if he actually likes where he is uh, or yeah. not. Um he will make it clear in kind of his mannerisms and his tone if he is actually enjoying his life at that time or not. I can't knock that because I am very guilty of the same thing, so I will be quiet here. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I don't blame anybody for it. You know, it's good to feel your emotions, um, even if it affects your job. The only caveat is maybe you need to change your job if you're so unhappy, but... That's a whole nother conversation in another legacy series. So. Yeah, I'm just going to mark down September 13th, 2020, where Miz Fan first said, if you're not happy, maybe you should leave your job because I don't know how long we're going to do this series and I don't know what's going to happen in my life, but we may pull this conversation back up eventually. <laughs> we may do it. That's advice that uh, is not always easy to take, that I have no. not always taken, but it's good to bear in mind. So. Absolutely. Here's one thing for you. Bret Hart already has his complete move set down. So, you know, any growth in Bret Hart would have to be I think in the way he's going to execute some of his matches, if that's growth, I think, you know, as far as just outer surface, I think he's kind of there for what we're going to get from Brett to Hitman Hart. I think he showed me in this match that he's a lot farther along than I kind of thought he was. Yeah. Um, I've been watching him with Nightheart and I'm like, well, he's kind of like getting there slowly, but you put him out by himself. I mean, it's going to be, I think two years still before he goes solo. And I'm like, man, he could be wrestling for the Intercontinental title today very easily. Like, he's very good already. So I don't know what that says about the perfect tag partner, Jim Neidhart, and about that team that's supposedly so great. But uh, I don't know. They, they could have split up earlier. Uh, 88 was too early, but 89 might have been the right time. Yeah, I can see that. And perfect and Piper and Bulldog are no greater than Ted DiBiase. Like, all oh, these are kind of. Sure. Yeah, so if he can do this with Ted DiBiase, uh, he can do that with them. And so I think he is. I think that's one thing. He's there. He's ready and good for Bret Hart because a lot of times we've been knocking him because it seems like the whole world wants him uh, to be what he's going to be, whether he's going to be it or not. But now we might have the other situation where for a couple of years he could go ahead and start ex uh, excelling, but he's kind of still saddled down with that uh, partner who 
only good contribution in the world, world according to Bret Hart, was listening to the Hitman. So <laughs> I'm sure he had some other good contributions, but that was his greatest one. Yeah, I was, of course. I, was, I mean, can it, can it get better than that? Of course not. Definitely not. Um, I will say in the ring, I would certainly take Ted before Piper or Bulldog. Uh, but even for that, I don't think this is Ted like carrying Brett or even elevating Brett, really. No. I mean, it's a good match because both guys are good. But Brett is giving as good as he's getting here. It also feels like a Bret Hart matchup in that yeah. again and again and again, there's going to be reversal starts and stops, like continuity and what's happening. And so I, here's a question I want to put out for the rest of the Legacy Series, because we will soon be praising Bret Hart for all this like ingenuity and cleverness and endings and uh, spots and sequences is there ever a time that you can overthink or overdo your cleverness? Hmm. Without sense, I want to say yes. I'm trying to think of, like, examples of that. They're probably kind of more... When you say that, I think of modern matches where people kind of overcomplicate yeah. their moves and their finishing sequences, and I don't think it's exactly the same thing. Because a lot of times it isn't necessarily clever. It's just flashy, uh, and that is not the same. But... I still want to say yes, so I don't know. I get a felt sense of yes, but I'm having trouble putting it all together. That's where I'm at too. I just I, I want to keep that on the table because like there's gonna be so much good stuff that's gonna be done by so many people. But the whole I don't know if it's a girl monsoon who always says going to the well to one too many times when I it's like going to the top. Thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know if it could be the same thing where it's like, oh man, that's a, I really loved it. Well, let's say Ric Flair who Bret Hart bashes all the time, like you know. If you're not a fan of the NWA and Flair and those sequences and you're watching Flair and Luger, for example, mm. and three times Flair goes to the top rope and three times <laughs> he gets thrown off the top rope, do you, does that take you out of the match? Is that, if it was clever, it would happen one time but not the other time or like how many times or I watched three Bra- or I watched three Flair Luger matches and it happened in all three of them. So I'm just wondering when we start to see all these clever matches and sometimes I watch some of these matches and I'm like, this was a great matchup, but like, you could take out like one third of it of them doing kind of the same thing. I gotcha, I gotcha. You felt that way about this match? I did not, but I also, okay, okay. knowing that Bret Hart like planned everything, right. I do want to sometimes look at it and be like, you know. But I like this one, especially I think the, this was the one with a bunch of inside cradles that I really enjoyed. Oh, yeah, and they looked super smooth. So, um, this is a really good match. On the cleverness thing, I want to bring up. Um, Dusty Rhodes is kind of, like, beloved now, universally, and uh, deservedly so, I think, but there was a time, as a booker, he was quite um, disliked because of being maybe overcomplicated, and he would come up with lots of, like, complicated ways for matches to not end properly. Yeah, he was probably, I don't know if we ever talked about it, but surely he was the one who, like, did the Luger, like, um, you know, fuck finishes that were not, like, real finishes. Um, that screams Dusty as a booker to me, and I think it's the right time period. So, not, uh, yes, not his matches that. necessarily, but, yeah, in his creative thinking, maybe uh, he's one who's too clever at times. I can see, I, I 100% can see what you're saying, but I also want to say, I think that there are at least a couple of times, the Dusty, Dusty wanted Luger to win the belt, Flair, you know, balked at the end, and then that was the compromise that came out of it. Mm. Well, that, that, that matches Flair the Politician that we've talked about a lot in the past. Uh, but still, nobody held a gun to Dusty's head and made him say, well, he should win yeah. the match, but also it stopped for blood loss or, you know, something that's maybe a little too clever. I agree with that as well. Cool. And so you get really good moves in matches, and then you get really good, smart moves. So, like, 
With the first inside cradle, Bret Hart is running Ted DiBiase into the ropes to try to do a classic roll-up. Ted DiBiase underhooks the top ropes so Bret Hart falls off. Then when Ted DiBiase turns around, Bret hits an inside cradle. And the reason that, why that is so fucking awesome is because roll-up was on the man's mind and he couldn't get the roll-up so he hits the inside cradle because it's an actual match in real time and he's still thinking quick win quick roll-up so turn face to face he he hits the inside cradle yeah it's very smooth it fits like a, a logical thought process um and uh I, I feel like it's doubly smart because ted i got a price ted because he's so good and like feeding these things because he's like walking around like he thinks he's smart and then he turns around and he gets cradled and it's great and he just escaped a pin so he's not expecting another pin and it just feels like kind of clever on clever and it's it's a very nice sequence it is and i'm not expecting i'm, I'm expecting those right. uh those winding right hands from bret hart yep <laughs> i can picture those so perfectly when you say that so yeah um uh, Bret Hart is good. He can surprise you a little bit, for sure, and that's a strength of his. Yeah, Lord Alfred Hayes follows this up with Grill Monsoon says that this man has excellence of execution. <laughs> yep, these uh, these statements are already coming into um, the vernacular, for sure. I say, for Alfred Hayes, he's so... Uh, he's a goof, uh, but I really enjoy <laughs> listening to him sometimes. At the start of this match, they're looking at the million-dollar belt, and he goes off, he's talking about his Gucci belt that cost $75. Yes. He thought that was a lot. He's just, he's like a silly, funny guy. And um, I don't know. I like Alfred Hayes. He's a definitely a WWF guy because sometimes he can talk and it's really stupid and he doesn't know who the person is in the ring. And sometimes <laughs> he can tell a story that tells a story that puts the man over exactly how they need to be put over. And that's WWF. And that is what he did in that segment. Absolutely. Absolutely. We want to judge Ted DiBiase, and fair enough, but you know, you do like you get a seventy-five dollar belt, man, and like, oh man, I'm I am I am it right now. And then the man is in the ring with a million dollar title, and the only thing you can say is like, well, Jack Tunney doesn't recognize it, you know. <laughs> of course, uh, I was surprised that belt. I didn't remember that it didn't have like leather parts of it. It's just like bare metal to strap around your waist. So yeah. a little weird to me, a little aesthetic thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And it's also kind of cool, though, because, again, he didn't go through whatever manufacturing company WWF goes through in order to get it made. No, there are vignettes of him going to, like, a fancy jeweler and uh, getting all the things he wants. So, you know, good stuff. I can't remember my something to Russell stories anymore because it's been so long, but I think that uh, he was with Bruce Pritchard maybe getting food or something and the belt got stolen out of the car. <laughs> I think Bruce is the one who had to make the phone call. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I hope it didn't actually cost a million dollars. I'm sure it didn't. No. So. <laughs> Funny, though. Oh, man. Yeah, if it did. And you wonder at that time if a fan thought, I just stole a belt that's worth a million dollars. Yeah, you never know. You know, it's worth it. I'm going to get it appraised at least. So it's worth something. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. This, uh, I thought, go sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I thought Brett uh, had been watching his brother in this match at times because mm. uh, he gets, um, you know, he's throwing himself around in the ropes. He does a dive. Um, he does uh, some more stuff that you might not expect from Bret Hart in 1989. He is just the kind that would be like, oh, man, Owen's doing some cool things. Let me go ahead and uh, get some ownership of it before, <laughs> before it takes off. So. Well, he definitely adapted himself to uh, keep up with everything. So, uh, stolen or adapted, uh, it's your choice. Adapt. Yours, so, 
very smooth. Speaking of the same, Ted DiBiase falls locked in the ropes like Andre the Giant, but his arms are not Andre the Giant. So when Burhart comes diving at him, he just slides out of the ropes, and that's where DiBiase kind of gets the advantage in the matchup. Oh, that was great. And Brett really threw himself into those ropes, too. Yeah. You know, I praise Bobby Heenan a lot because when he throws himself into stuff, it does. it's like never polished. It always looks like it's kind of a disaster for him. And Bret Hart, you know, he's not trying to be a goof or anything, but he kind of does the same. Like, it really looks like, oh, wow, something, you know, went wrong for this guy. He's going to be at a disadvantage now. You know, it's not a clean, like, pretty bump. It's just uh, he gets smashed into the ropes and sort of gets tangled up and falls all over the place. And it's very nice. I like that stuff. Yeah. And in reality, that's what it should look like if we're going to buy it for the match. Because a lot of times, if you miss a splash... Like, you still kind of land the same way you would land on someone, so I don't know why it would hurt. But you would think the thing that would make it so effective is that you're not landing where you thought you were going to land and on who you thought. And so you would go a little further. You would be If anyone's ever walked down the steps and they, they forgot a step or something, that feeling that comes with it. So the way Brett threw himself, you really understand that, like, this guy's in trouble in this matchup. There's a premium uh, with a lot of fans today on wrestling that is very smooth, very graceful, very crisp, that looks very perfect. And I get it to a point. Sometimes that is uh, very nice to look at. But that's really not my preferred style at all. I like the stuff that looks rough, that looks gritty, that maybe even looks a little bit botchy at times. Like, this stuff, that adds to me because, like, this is what a match would look like, you know, if you look at any... um, uh, real contest, uh, if I can use a, a bad word and say real, um, you know, it's rarely pretty, it's rarely picture perfect, it's often uh, messy, and it's like, you know, get the job done, so to me, yeah, I, I prefer stuff that looks rough a lot of the time. I feel like that comes down to almost your first philosophy, is mm-hmm. is your first philosophy above everything else, well, we all know it's a work, we're all smart now, so you know, take it to these levels of these visual pleasantries, or is it, I don't give a fuck whether I know it's a work or not, I know what I'm turning on to watch, and nobody asks these questions about other elements of TV, so I want to believe it, I want to feel it, I want to experience it as if it were, that is the whole point, Mm -hmm. so... Because I don't think I can say I want to experience it as if it is real, a real combat, real feud... And be like, now I want it to be the prettiest thing I've ever watched. <laughs> so it never would be. Right, yeah. That's fair. And I can't say I never like wrestling that doesn't kind of uh, be aware of itself. I've definitely been a fan of that sort of thing at times. But uh, there is something very compelling about this kind of wrestling, the rougher wrestling, that I think gets unfairly dismissed by uh, by certain types of fans. So that that's just my feeling. I also like that you said that because I noticed at the bottom of my notes I have that this was a rugged match. Mm, mm. Yeah, it really felt like it. So uh, this is a match that really walks that line very well because it is very rugged, but it's also pretty at times, you know, like yeah. uh, not not in a um, contrived way, but in a way where you just like have to appreciate for a second uh, what these guys are doing in here. I think that's going to be a thing for a while. As a lot of these, I haven't watched, like, say, Brett and Davey for a long time, but I feel like... A mark of the Bret Hart matches is going to be both that you enjoyed it while you're ha- while it's happening, and then you go back and start thinking about different sequences and just like honoring certain things that happened in the matchup. Yeah, yeah, I uh, 
there's a, on the other end of the spectrum probably a different, a completely different type of fan. But some fans are like, "Wow, it's always great when everything's called in the ring," you know. And I'm like, "That's that's cool. That can produce great stuff." But I also appreciate the planners. I appreciate Bret Hart, Randy Savage, guys who can plan this stuff all out ahead. You know, DDP as well, and they still make it look rough. But then you look back and you're like, "Oh, that all came together like really beautifully." Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. Wrestling is very deep and wide. There are a lot of great styles. Uh, I just yes. like to try to embrace all of them. Yeah, and you got to let people like who's gonna who's gonna argue. Even if, if I preferred more organic, and I'm not, I'm not even saying I do because I think context again. But uh-huh. I'm gonna tell Bret Hart or Randy Savage they need to change their style. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like for a lot of these people, it's already working. Like they've made it to a certain level. You don't need to like look down on that style because you think you're better. You know. So. You like what you like, but just don't be a dick about it, I guess, is the golden rule. So. Yeah. And one of the problems with calling primetime wrestling matches, as I realized in the bonus, is the is the ending of the matches. <laughs> yeah, you don't get a lot of... Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man. All, no, one of these ends in a pinfall, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, all matches in this era uh, are in danger of this. So, yes, you get the double countout at the end. Uh, I would still say this is a great match. If you are a fan of Brett, Ted, or uh, this kind of wrestling, I would check it out. March 20, 1989, primetime wrestling on the network. Very good match. Absolutely. I second that, especially if you're someone who's just waiting for this Bret Hart thing to happen. You know, go ahead and get yourself ready. Get yourself started because we are growing closer and closer to the day. Mm, absolutely. I'll ask this, and I've asked it before. Um I'll just do it again to our listeners. Uh, when when did Bret Hart like become a thing to you? Because there are times in this where I could be watching and I'm like, I would never think anything of Bret Hart. But there are also times when I'm watching and I'm like, yeah, obviously this guy is going to be a much bigger deal than he looks like right now. So I, I want to know from people who watched at the time, I, I never knew a world where Bret Hart wasn't a thing. So other people have to tell me what that looked like. Yeah, and I... I think this is a conversation that's going to have to happen a hundred times because I think uh, that Bret Hart does continually evolve. You know, we can argue forever, and I'm sure it will be a conversation whether he should have been champion in 92 or not. I don't know where I'll fall this time around, but, you know, you got different Bret Harts at different times, and I think Miz Fan and I both agree that this very well could be the IC guy, and that this is years before it happens, so, hey. Absolutely. I mean, look who's IC guy is now, Warrior and Rude. I'd take Bret, you know, over any of them, so... Yes. The workers' belt. No, it's not. It's a lie. No. And it's also the fact that, you know, they're not that good comparatively to the other tag teams. It's the Hart Foundation, so why not let them go single? Right, yes. Hart Foundation, continually uh, overrated. Not that exciting, my opinion. So, oh well. Yeah, if they weren't, you know, the tag, the tag division is happening right now. I'll put it that way. So, <laughs> he's got Man, a better shot at the IC title. Jeez, yeah, so many guys that are far ahead of the uh, the Hearth Foundation. You've got your brain busters. You've got Demolition. Man, I would take <laughs> – I won't, I won't go through all the list of teams that I think are better, but those two at least seem far yeah. ahead of the Hearth Foundation to me. I agree, and they're going to be baby faces. Like, why would you not go with the Rockers who are younger and more attractive Absolutely. than a team that's kind of been cycled through and through? And I think their whole face existence is feuding with Jimmy Hart for the rest of their lives. So, <laughs> you know. That goes on for a long time, for sure, um, yet without a lot of heat, uh, so I don't know why. It's like that British Beefcake, Greg Valentine feud. It just sort of always exists in the back of everybody's mind. Yeah. So, 
you're not ever paying attention to it, but never really. Maybe it's just waiting for you to pay attention to it, and nobody does, so it can never move on to its next life. Well, it should have been more interesting then. Absolutely. Great great call. We will move on to our next bonus segment here. Uh, this is uh, can be seen on the April 17 episode of Primetime Wrestling. Primetime Wrestling featuring a lot of these matches. Uh, it'll be interesting when we get past 89, because that's where the network runs out of primetime, so we may have to look elsewhere for a bonus content. But uh, here we have Randy Savage coming on the Brother Love Show, so we're going to suffer through Brother Love for the sake of one of our core narratives, Randy Savage, because uh, it's going to be a big change in the life of the Macho Man here, one we've been waiting for. Yeah, and also, you know, because Brother Love has been there. Brother Love, you know was there with some of the mega power stuff. He was there when um, Savage embraced Hercules. So for most of the, the Brother Love show, Randy Savage would have been like an opponent, an enemy. And now it just, it just shows you, you know, these old school movies, old school shows, old school wrestling. Like when someone goes bad, they go to a different side of town. They go to a different group mm-hmm. and you watch them walk. Uh, I don't know what I'm thinking of right now, but even in like, this is not going bad because this is uh, C.S. Lewis. But when Aslan gives his life uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, you got the White Witch's whole crew out there and he just willingly walks into the midst of it. And Randy Savage, you know, I know what we, I know what he went through. I know why he's doing this, but I'm watching him walk somewhere that, you know, I'm, I'm half of me says, you know, go Randy Savage and half of me says, like, you're hurt, and this is all ego, and you need to slow down and maybe think about some things. <laughs> this is an emotionally damaged Randy Savage, but he's going to yeah. lean full force into his emotional damage for the next two years. So so don't expect that feeling to go away anytime soon. Yeah, and there's not there's something about we get two Randy Savage Sherry uh, segments, and I, there's something that I really like. that In the first one, it feels like they're trying to get used to each other, and then... It's like they're trying to pump and prime each other. So it's almost like we don't yet have this genuine connection that we're claiming, but we're both angry and we both want to do things in the WWF. So we are going to talk ourselves into the reality of of what we're speaking right now. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's a strong element of that. Uh, The emotional state of Randy Savage continues to be one of the most interesting things we're covering on these shows. It might be his his emotions might be the only thing, thing he was left with after like leaving the, <laughs> the the divorce of the mega powers. Yeah, no, he didn't come away with a lot out of that except a lot of anger. So uh, he's going to try to put that anger to good use here. Oh boy! So um, yes, we are on Brother Love, and I'll just say um, <laughs> yes, Randy Savage talking with Brother Love is kind of a sign of his heel them, but thank God they didn't run all the mega powers promos through Brother Love, the way they ran, you know, Hogan and Andre through Roddy Piper, because that was great. And if you try to do the same with Brother Love, I don't know if we'd be having the same conversation about this feud right now. Yeah, I think WrestleMania was still precious enough that they couldn't just do anything they wanted, and I think they knew better as well. I would think on some level they have to be aware that Brother Love is far more annoying than he is good. Um because even Piper didn't behave like Piper, though. Like Part of what made it work is Piper acted like he had some respect for what was happening around him. Absolutely. Man, those are all-time great segments contributing to the fact that it is number one on our list. So good. Mm. So, 
uh, anyway, yes, we do have Savage with Brother Love. He is rumored to have a new manager. We all know who that's going to be, but they don't. And I like that it's kind of, it feels like a callback to me of when Randy Savage first came in and uh, everyone was wondering, like, what manager he would have. And uh, it ended up being somebody totally unexpected who was not even a manager before that time. So there's a nice parallel here, I think, uh, with his early career. Absolutely. That's a good call. You know, I haven't seen anything so wild since Bobby Heenan showed up at Impact in a limousine to try to court Bobby Roode. <laughs> oh, I love that that happened. It's a great If we could check our show, I wonder how many people just turned off the whole thing right there. Oh, my God. Hopefully not. <laughs> if you made it this far, I hope that wasn't your breaking point. Oh, my God. All right. Okay. <laughs> I just sneaked in some Bobby Roode. And I'm damn proud of it. <laughs> oh, I love that guy. Oh, man. I, um... I- there was yeah. a thing that WWE was like, oh, we're going to release a lot of people. And, man, I probably saw Bobby Roode mentioned more than anybody of, like, let this guy go. So that gave me a little appreciation that some people still know that Bobby Roode is capable of a lot more than he's doing, which is fuck all. So Yeah. It's their second cycle of releasing people, too, and he hasn't been in it either time, even though he hasn't done anything since NXT. Right, yeah. It's, mm, I can't wish for it because, like, he's got a family, and I want him to be happy financially far more than my own desires but i mean just talking about reality like what is your reason for keeping him if you're wwf yeah no it makes no sense to me at all but uh yeah uh, they just they like having all the toys in their toy box if they can Mm. uh that's my feeling anyway so putting that aside returning to 1989 uh savage just come out he says that hogan didn't beat him could never beat him and will never beat him Sorry, Savage, I don't know if that's true. But, yeah, uh, I wrote down, don't be that guy. Because <laughs> oh. you really got nothing when you say that, and you don't, like, Hogan made you look bad, but Hulk Hogan is not doing it anymore, so don't, like, don't be don't be Hulk Hogan. Don't treat yourself like Hulk Hogan would treat you. <laughs> I think Savage internalized a lot of the bad things that happened to him. It's not healthy, yeah. so be more healthy than Randy Savage in a lot of ways. It's a good good thing to be. He also said it was because of your manager, Hulk Hogan. Yep, he puts a lot of blame on Elizabeth and on that Hogan-Elizabeth pairing, which, by the way, will never continue in any form. Um, So uh, to your point, like from the story, you'd think that they would have gone off together, but they sure didn't. You know, they they have no connection, really, as far as I know, after all this is done. So I looked for her at ringside in the cage match, and I did not find her. So, yes, all of Hogan's uh, protestations are not really bearing out here at all. Yeah, again, like, they're all guilty. Savage treated Liz poorly. I don't blame Liz for, like, looking elsewhere, but, like, you also blew up the relationship that you seem to care about and your business relationship for someone who you also don't seem to even think that you need to manage unless you're managing the mega powers. And if you're Hulk Hogan, you did it all on purpose. So, shame as well. Yep, yep. Blatantly clear, Hogan never had any interest in Liz except that she was a savage. It was a means to an end. So, highly manipulative on Hogan's part, which is not Yeah, means to an end, and now your career ended. So, you know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Savage says he's done with Miss Elizabeth, but he's not done with Hogan. Mm. He has a new manager who is loyal faithful and doesn't have wandering <laughs> eyes which was great i love that and she's more gorgeous so you know i'm not sure i actually disagree with that one um i love sherry it is <laughs> sherry ventura calls it brilliant although he also mentioned some other managers including bobby heenan he thought that it might have been and man i'm wondering about that reality for a second bobby heenan managing randy savage but 
we got Sherry and Savage, and that's the way to go. Like, this is such a classic pairing. Absolutely. It is tempting to think about it, but I think the world title is beyond Randy Savage now. So, you know, I don't think it would, it's weird to say this. I don't think it would have been Bobby Heenan's best investment at this point because it, it would have been the end of a feud of Hulk Hogan, like, getting the best of him again. Yeah, I mean, Randy Savage, uh, when's the next time he's going to be in a WrestleMania main event? You know, not for not for quite a while. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then Liz would have to come in and, like, like throw him around while he's kicking out. <laughs> may or may not have the same effect. We'd have to see it, you know, play out. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, not so much. Um, so, yes, Sherry is here. She says she's more woman than Liz ever dreamed of being. They show, to me, like... With Randy Savage in the state he's in right now, I feel like he and Sherry are, like, very in sync right away. Like, they have a similar brand mm. of uh, being unhinged, so they're just going to revel in that together for a while. It's scary to watch because they're both unhinged, but they're trying to treat it like almost the Liz Savage. You know, like, he'll spin her around or hold her hand up. So mm-hmm. they're, they're acting like there's this, like, well, that whole list, there's this component of loyalty, faithfulness, love, and all of that, you know, and... Just be what you are. Like, you're scary enough as you are, but I don't want to see them try to hold anything together because I think they're more, they're, they, they're better at being all over the place, tearing things down and trying to hold a thing together. So I don't know how that will or won't go. We'll have to see. I have to judge as I watch, but I kind of appreciate it as sort of like an evil or like corrupted yeah. version of Savage and Liz. Like, there's something compelling about that to me. Oh, it's great for storytelling. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I don't like Savage. I don't know how I don't know if I believe them. So the, the two things I thought is this is great for story. I almost I almost duck duck go search engine uh, <laughs> e, uh, something like psychology today is revenge and is revenge ego based just to see if I can find anything because <laughs> I feel like we have lost all the spirituality, all the fire, and we are just like flat out raw ego right now trying to get revenge. Oh yeah, I think uh, you're probably right about that. Hey. After you have a big emotional trauma, you kind of clamp down your emotions. Um, yes. So here we are in uh, this situation, and uh, it's very interesting. And that's what's beautiful about Sherry, because Sherry is the kind of woman, and we'll see this with DiBiase, with Michaels. She can just be there because of the business or the success or just like the, I don't want to say lust because Savage doesn't like that word, but like <laughs> though she can be there for the moment. Like, you know, right. I don't feel like you have to tell Sherry, like, you will be my manager forever. Like, we'll never go our separate ways. It's just like, we're both really hot right now and we could do some amazing things in the moment. And I think Sherry can handle that and can get down, get down with you and do whatever needs to be done. Yeah. We can wreck some shit. Let's, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> I love Sherry. Um, she was a, a great wrestler, very underrated. No conversation about that. Uh, great women's champion in a time when, uh, you weren't really supposed to be a great women's champion, but, uh, I'm really glad that she's a manager cause now she's actually going to have a lot more to do and she's just going to be a fantastic, just a phenomenal character. I can't wait to talk a lot more about Sensational Sherry. Yeah. And then the amazing thing about this segment is Hulk Hogan is taking less heat than Elizabeth, for the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. To me, the amazing thing about this segment is that at the end, Vince McMahon asks, how dare her, uh, <laughs> which you may recognize as a grammatical abomination from the man who does mm. the call-out grammar, and Ventura doesn't call him out on it. So just go figure who who of these two is really petty and pedantic and uh, not really very nice to their partner. I'll let you decide that for yourself, listeners. 
Jesse and Tierra has grown up arguments to put in place. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yeah. This segment, um, yeah, it's almost more like kind of understated than you'd think it would be, but it's very effective. It puts them together. It creates a lot of big emotional character questions for what this is going to look like. And I'm really looking forward to it. They both really, really remind me of Disney characters in the best of Disney. And I, yes. you know, so, and imagine that like the, I'm surprised WWF hasn't done it yet, and I don't say, think that they should, but imagine two Disney characters just busting out of an old movie and trying to challenge Hulk Hogan. That's kind of what you got right now. It's like Jafar and Ursula teaming up yeah. right here. Totally. And it's, it's creepy. Like, the best villains in Disney, like, if they were, if they walk out of a room, their essence is still in the room. Like, you got to spray it down like you're in a pandemic when a villain leaves the room, and that's kind of what it felt like with Randy Savage and Sherry because they're bad intentions – that are following them wherever they go. Oh, I love that. I just, uh, you, this might be a game you played. Uh, I'm just playing Kingdom Hearts now. You ever played yes. that? Yeah, okay, so I get a little vibe from what you're saying out of that. I like it. Yeah, and that's, you know, think about that, you know, and especially if we're like a kid trying to go up against that kind of stuff, and so WWS putting some tools in place. Like, we're gonna, we've been wondering what Hogan's year be like, and so... When I look at some of his opponents, I can see 89 still shining at some place, and I can also see it falling off a cliff. <laughs> we know that cliff. We're going to see it later, perhaps. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Oh, boy. All right, so we got our third of four bonus segments here coming up uh, from the May 8 episode of Primetime Wrestling. We have two guys that we have praised, and uh, I was a little surprised you picked this one, but not unhappy, because I love talking about both of these guys. It's Barbarian versus Hercules in a battle of the hosses, and that's that's kind of cool just by itself to me. Yeah, I was surprised I picked this one as well, Miss Man. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because I think Hercules versus Bad News Brown was on there. I thought that's the one you would go for, but I'm not unhappy, because... I love Bad News Brown a lot, but Barbarian, you like, he's really good too. We haven't had a chance to praise him very much yet, so. I think that's why a lot of my list was just trying to go with stuff that either people needed to be redeemed or they haven't gotten much attention. Like, I don't always do that because I want to get some matches that are going to pop, but it's something for some reason this week just felt like, you know, do some work. Maybe because we're starting over a new chapter. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, very, very true. Uh, this is a solid match, I think. It doesn't pop maybe as much as some of the others, but it's, uh, you know, it's it's kind of what you'd expect. It's a bit slower. It's power versus power. Um, you get some good moves. Barbarian with that big boot, which is godly. You get Hercules <laughs> uh, doing the Lex Luger rack. And uh, just like Lex Luger getting uh, messed with by Mr. Fuji. So there's a little practice for him right there. Yeah, I said Barbarian is looking like the challenger for the WCW world title in 1992. You can take that whichever <laughs> way. <laughs> You're not wrong. You are not wrong. Uh, Danny Davis is the referee as well. I noticed that. It's so funny how he quietly joined the team again after being banned for life. So good for him. You know, Danny Davis. So I'll never forget how over he was right at the end of his uh, referee shtick. And it could only go so far as a wrestler, of course. But uh, it was a big thing in its time. And now here he is, still employed, got his old job back. And now he's, uh, I guess he learned his lesson. So here we are. Yeah, I think I don't know if this is even right, but I'm starting to be a little bit depressed when I watch Hercules only because I feel like is he already floundering? Is WWF already done with him? Mm. 
you know, there's something about him. He's 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 making a lot of motion, but not making any noise. I mean, if you're waiting for the day when Hercules takes off, then I'm sorry, you've already seen the best of it. So yeah, he may already be on that trajectory. He's been around for a while. He's gonna do some stuff, which is uh, not bad, but the kind of hopes we had for him that we knew he was never going to get, but kind of like the feelings we had about him, you know, they're never going to be um, lived up to. And uh, that's just what we got to live with. Yeah. I just wonder how, like, cause it even seemed when, when he kind of got given to DiBiase that there was still at least some, something with him, you know? Mm. I and mean, I that was know. probably, yeah, them cashing in on the, the biggest thing they wanted to do with Hercules. So, that's the peak. After that, it's a, you know you got to slide down the other side. Yeah, and he will be powering glory at some point. He will a team that uh that I enjoy actually. So you know there'll be some some stuff to enjoy with Hercules. But yeah, we've hit the peak of Hercules as a, a notable person in the WWF. Yeah, absolutely. And he started, that's why he was kind of starting to feel like in this match is when you watch Don Morocco or Dino Bravo, mm. and it's like yeah they're still here, but. I think they're already starting to belong to what has already happened more than what can or will happen. Yep, I agree. Dodev has kind of moved on already, so it's a shame, but uh, it is what it is. This one ends in a... I know Fuji interferes. Did we get a count-out, or is it... Yeah, it's another double count-out, just like the first match, so they love double count-outs in this time. I think we see two here in the bonus matches. And I think probably at least one more, um, or maybe a DQ or something later on. So, yeah. Um, or maybe even more than that. Holy crap. Yeah, this era is terrible if you <laughs> want proper finishes. So if that's your beef, then I can never argue, because they can't do a clean finish in most of these matches to save their life. Yeah. So, I think uh, uh, the most interesting match on paper for me is still to come. Is it this next one that we're about to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. On May 15, Primetime Wrestling, we get a very interesting match that I'm glad we were able to cover. It is the Brain Busters taking on Coco Beware and the Blue Blazer, a.k.a. Owen Hart. And you may see that team together is none other than High Energy, which will be a team in the early 90s for uh, actually not that long a period. But um, still, they hold a beloved place in my heart. Because Owen Hart is great, everyone knows that. Coco Beware is great, nobody knows it, and I'm telling everybody all the time because he's so great. And, uh, yeah, I mean, both guys are hardly a lot more than jobbers at this time, but still, they get, like, kind of a full-on match here with the Brain Busters, and it's a great match. This is maybe the best match for me that we covered on here because I had a great deal of fun with this match. This was my favorite match on paper and was my favorite match to watch. Love it. Love it. Oh, man. Uh, number one, that they teamed up. I'm, this is a great find from Miz Fan, and it's just beautiful for the Legacy Series because they will be. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again, folks. Make these folks, make them stand by their legacies. Why, indeed, in 1994 do we get an Owen Hart-Bret Hart feud where Jim Neidhart returns and helps Owen and British Bulldog helps Bret Hart? Make them stand by their legacies. If Owen's going to be heel, people are going to hate him, and we're going to love Bret Hart. Let Jim Neidhart come back and be on Bret Hart's side. Let Coco Beware come back and be on Owen Hart's side and have that feud, and, and let's see who is better as a, as a team. <laughs> people, uh, nobody, I think, hardly will agree with this, but for a while, Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart will be the new foundation, and honest to God, I like them more than the Bret 
Nightheart tag team, even though like they have no reputation, people don't even know what happened. I don't know, just it's Owen, man. Like Brett is a guy we saw him kind of excel above what we expected in that singles match. Brett is a guy who excels like in the right situation. Owen is a guy who excels like even if you asked him like Owen, go out there and don't excel, he would fail at that because he's mm. just so exceptional. That's one of the realest takes you're going to get and probably almost only on the show. But go watch Bret Hart on Nitro, I think, trying to do a promo with Ric Flair. And you think he's never been in a wrestling ring before. So Bret Hart is amazing. 97, I'm going to give him like close to Andre Hogan Savage type uh, praise for some of the things he does. But Bret Hart needs the context. He absolutely needs the context. Owen Hart, since day one has just been off the page, off the chart, off the screen. You can like it or lump it, as the old preacher used to say, but <laughs> it's kind of just true. Oh, it absolutely is, yeah. I love Owen Hart. Uh, he t- why, Owen Hart as the Blue Blazer and Coco Beware, Why could they could have just been a team in 1989 because they're, mm-hmm. honestly, they're at least as good as the Rockers in terms of being like high flyers and exciting wrestlers. You could even call them, this is great, I'm proud of this, just call them birds of a feather. Because they nice. both, like, got feathers, and, like, it worked so well, so why didn't it happen? I don't know. I love the idea, though. That's what hit me, because I didn't even think about it, what you just said with the feathers and all that, until till they were coming down the ringside. I was like, oh, my God, this this might work better than Owen Hart and uh, Coco Beware. <laughs> right, this is even actually a better fit than, like, the, the taxi pants and the, um, you know, whatever the hell their vibe was i don't even know but yeah like this could have just been a really great team and it would have given both guys a better thing to do so that's just my take it's also the same reason though that the fuse that work are real and you know there's got to be a little bit of this even if it's just been saying man even if it's implicit or indirect we can't let the blue blazer take off because uh, we kind of got plans for bret hart and like nothing good comes of owen hart getting ahead of bret hart in, in any level at any time because if there's one thing out this place called WWF, we have plans for people and they often make sense or don't make sense. But the plans are the plans are the plans. And I think Bret Hart from the beginning, Stu might have even told him, you know, the day he dropped Bret Hart off at WWF. And it's like, I'll ha- I have more of them, but this is the one you got to push because, <laughs> you know, it's just in the cards. And Owen Hart is too damn good. And that's his, that's his own problem. Yep. Yeah, they certainly run circles around uh, any other Brett uh, Hart children that I've seen, even though there's an endless number of them. So, oh my. Um, here's the thing, too. Owen Hart, uh, obviously so great in this match. Like, he has a, an amazing hot tag. He does, like, a godlike missile dropkick mm. that he can also do along with Coco, all of this stuff. And, man, I'm sitting here, and I'm like, Owen Hart is a heel, like almost the entirety of his career like all the notable parts of his career he's a heel i don't know if he ever even becomes a face again in a way that even matters so how weird that a guy who clearly could have been such a great natural baby face but he was a great natural heel as well so you know i can't fault it but it's just kind of amazing to think about there's an echo in the room here fans i i apologize to the (laughs) listeners but uh, he could not be a face because there was already a face. You're right. I'm uh, so sorry. <laughs> because the fact of the matter is, and I will nail this to the fucking wall to the point that when WWF The Legacy Series is gone, somebody's going to come by and be like, what the hell is that on the wall? I can't take it down. But enough is enough buzz cut Owen Hart, who is there after Bret Hart left. 
could have been easily been a massive babyface world champion on the level. I'll say that I'll, I'll fucking say it on the level of a Mick Foley in that era. Sure. I said it. And the only reason we didn't do it is because we decided not to. Bruce Pritchard, like, we had to have under, we had to have that Undertaker blow off match. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Keep telling lies. <laughs> right. Like, the more credible reason that I always heard is that Austin didn't want to work with him again, which, yeah. you know, would make sense. I, I believe yeah. it's totally a fluke that he broke his neck, but once a guy breaks your neck, you don't want to get in there with him again. So, you know, it is what it is. So. I don't know if I bl- I don't know that I blame Austin for that, but Austin is also Vince Russo's era, so Austin lost the belt every other week, even though he should, probably shouldn't have. So you, <laughs> you could have had Owen Hart and Shawn Michaels and treated yeah. it with the fucking respect that it deserved, because yeah. Austin wasn't champion yet. And later on down the line, you could have had Owen Hart with some of these other guys. Austin's going to be gone sometimes, so you know, fair enough, but also still not fair, and right. nobody's getting off the hook on that one. No, I agree. In terms of talent, in terms of the hype that was around that guy after Montreal, like there's stuff you could have done for sure. And Owen's a jokester. Like Owen, I never fully believed him. Like the more they made him whiny, Owen Hart, I believed him as a heel. But like I just didn't really believe he's a heel. You know, it's like right. okay, but he just looks like he wants to have fun. <laughs> He does, though. He's kind of look like he's enjoying, even when he's a heel. Like, he's just enjoying it in a wholesome way, which yes. is weird. But uh, that's that's Owen Hart for you. This is also Tony Schiavone calling an Arn Anderson match, so you know it's WWF. <laughs> of course. Yeah, for sure. Oh, my gosh. Whew. All right. Yeah, this is a great little match here. Like, I don't think it's even especially long, but, God, like, just the four people involved in this match are just unreal in their level of talent. Everything just seems to fit together beautifully, and not in that, like, kind of overly graceful way I was talking about. Like, it it looks rough at times, it looks uh, unplanned at times, but you look back on, like, the finished product, and you're like, God, that was seamless. Like, that was just, that was a beautiful match. I think it's a great match. I love it. I agree. Uh, Ari gets the spine buster on Coco. Uh, Tony Schiavone says... That move of his where he picks the man up and puts him back on the mat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so weird. So weird. I don't even know what to make of that. But, um. (laughs) Coco mocks Arn Anderson doing his little bird thing. And Arn Anderson is just like facial, facial selling. You know, like he's shocked out of his mind. Like he's. It's just good, folks. Watch this match up. Watch this match. Watch this match. Absolutely. Expressions and body language, all that stuff, even that is on point. Uh, in the end, Owen is looking for a moonsault. Arn Anderson takes him out at the legs for a big bump. They segue beautifully into a spike pile driver and put Owen Hart away. So you get an awesome match and uh, you get a weird look ahead at high energy, a team that you didn't even probably know you should appreciate so much, but you should. Because they're great. Owen Hart, Coco Beware, spectacular legends. I love these guys. Absolutely. And it ended perfectly. The Blue Blazer is green. The Blue Blazer goes to the well one too many times, as they say. And he pays for it. And Arn Anderson's going to make you pay for it. So quickly from a moonsault to being upside down in a spike pile driver. Yep. Yep. Beautiful segue there. I love it. Yeah, so... 
I think that does it. Anything else on the bonus? Nope, that, that puts away our four bonus segments, so do check those out. They're all on Primetime Wrestling. I've given you the dates. I've posted them. Hopefully you can find them if you need to. And, uh, yeah, nothing left now but to talk about May 27, 1989, Saturday Night's Main Event, first big show after WrestleMania five. Like you said, that reset button has kind of been hit, but there's stuff going on as well that we must be aware of the history of, so... A lot going into the show here. Yeah, and we've unfortunately already done away with rapid-fire interviews or oh, promos God. at the beginning. I miss those. Instead, we get one man, which is kind of symbolic. It's the WWF champion standing behind a, a, a steel cage, the big blue steel cage. Yeah. Uh, he's using that as his old rhetoric that he has uh, already put into place. It's going to be a day in court. He's going to be passing sentence. He's going to throw the book at you. But he also says it will be the final sentence, and I think he kind of means that for poor big boss man. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, I love the big blue cage. Yeah. It's probably my favorite cage style. Um, it's uh, it looks easier to climb. It looks worse if you like slam a guy's head into it because it's like a metal bar and not like a little mesh. And you know, I know that hurts too. But uh, I don't know. It just seems a lot easier to work with. It's kind of easier to see through sometimes. I think. Um, Maybe that's debatable, but I love the big blue, the big blue cage. It's my favorite cage ever, and that's by far. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It fits WWF well, because uh, WWF is always going to be, oh, partly like, oh, they're making them suffer in a cage, and partly this is a big, lovely performance, you know, so <laughs> big, blue, big blue cage is both of those. It's a more performative cage, you know, it's not a cage that you could get off the streets, it's it's a special cage. It helped bump, bump Bundy and Hogan up, like, if anything, yeah. it was like the difference of that thinking about that big blue cage as well. Yeah. I can't stress it up either. Like, if you're going to have a climbing match, get yourself a big blue cage. Because I hate watching guys scramble around on the friggin', uh, you know, chain link mesh sometimes. Because that looks just like such a pain to even try to do. And not in a good way. In a, like, I feel bad for you kind of way. I really feel like the way AEW likes to troll WWE at times, they drop the ball with. They should have brought the the big blue cage because all of a sudden... Vince would be trying to sue them and bring back the big blue cage. And, you know, either way, as fans, we would get the big blue cage. Oh, I'd love to see it. Absolutely. It makes no sense in this world. All the stuff, all the gimmicks they do and all the wrestlers they bring back at, at like 107 years old and they can't bring the big blue cage back. Come on. They got a raised ramp. So clearly they're aware of uh, the true yeah. great veterans of the past. So We yeah. need it. If I've ever needed anything, it's the return of the big blue cage. <laughs> I wonder, like, WWF didn't do the raised ramp, so I don't know how well the raised ramp and the big blue cage know each other, but if I could sit and just listen to them, the two of them do a documentary and have a conversation, I would be there for that. <laughs> Ultimate rivals, they never could work together in the same promotions. <laughs> oh, I like it. That's what ruins everything, the egos. Yep. We could never get them to work together. <laughs> They're both. They were two biggest stars, you know. They just, they just could never yeah. coexist. Man, oh, it's sad. I'm not even joking on any of this. We got it for a while though. Owen and Brett's in the big blue cage, so we got it at least through '94. Yep, yep. It'll hang around for sure. That'll be an interesting match. I don't know what I'll think of that. So it's good for Hogan too, because I feel like Hogan cannot be climbing other things very well. So I, he certainly would rather not be. Um, yeah. I don't blame him for that. So yeah. Yeah. The other ones too, like 
Oh, God, because this feels like I'm on the other side of what my usual argument would be, but I don't need it to be that authentic to the point that, you know, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Because Hogan does a cool thing in this match. Hogan and Boss Man, they do a cool thing in this match. Uh, but, I mean, as you said authentic, but I think, uh, as always, like, it's just a complicated word to talk about. It yes. doesn't always mean what you think it means. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean realistic or gritty. It just means something that, like, gets that reaction out of you. Mm-hmm. It's a feeling rather than something you can pin down super well. I love that. Because, yeah. yes, yes, yes. You know, what they use now looks like something if you're backyard wrestling that you would just tear off of some place and and throw up. Like, big blue cage, you don't get anywhere. You know, like, where do you go to get a big blue cage? Right, yep, that's custom made. That can only exist for a wrestler. It would never exist for any other reason. God, it's so wonderful. And you can, like, you can see through it. Like Miss Van said, there's gigantic holes. You can see through it. They can put a camera through it if they want to, even like 100 years ago. Yep. Uh, so, I don't know. If I could do an interview with Big Blue Cage, I would ask. Like, Big Blue Cage probably held Vince McMahon up for like a million dollars like Warrior did. <laughs> Damn it, Big Blue Cage. <laughs> I'm just sad it didn't go to WCW then. So. Yeah. Oh, well. oh man. WCW. Ah, just another one. You gotta steal every storyline from the '80s, but you can't steal the Big Blue Cage. Yeah, now that's 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 a great point. That's one star I would have liked to see come back in that era. Man, it had too much uh, pride to come back for that craptastic little run they did. It might be the one thing that would make Sting an actual franchise because he would definitely benefit from the Big Blue Cage. (laughs) I don't disagree, but uh, if anyone's still listening from the Sting Squadron, um. I'm at, at Spectral Jet, so come <laughs> talk to me about the fact that Sting never succeeded because there was no big blue cage. So Write me a book on why Sting is the franchise other than the fact that he didn't leave the company, which is just a hell of a reason. <laughs> and because Flair wanted him to be because he could never get over and Flair kept getting the belt back. But that's not even this conversation. So, yeah, whatever. Go listen to the old tapes. Yep, they're out there. As they say. Uh Hulk Hogan, so I, I don't even know what this note is. It might not mean anything. I got Hulk Hogan played Savage. Oh, yeah, okay, so here we are. This is just, just the genius of the horribleness of Hulk Hogan. He played Randy Savage for a year, but didn't let the Mega Powers explode until he got his WrestleMania match. And then he held off the big boss man so he would also have his first big Saturday Night's main event matchup after he finished Randy Savage off and became world champion. <laughs> Hogan, uh, as the manipulator, he knows what times that everything should happen, and he's going to make it happen. Because, yeah, he was messing with Bossman in 88. It's May, and this is the yeah. first time they're having like their big match. I think they already went around the, the, the house circuit a bunch of mm-hmm. times and made just like an ungodly amount of money, like record-setting amounts of money uh, in this feud. So props to both of them. But, yes, on TV... He has pushed Bossman off uh, continuously, and now finally we are getting their match here. Yeah, it's, it's genius. It's again, it's a rare. I can't remember if it's Benjamin Button or someone else. You know, talk about the difficulty of the the babyface as champion. Like any babyface, almost that exists under the sun can be a challenger for a belt, but it is very hard to be a long run babyface world champion. Yeah, few have uh, succeeded at it, and I would say none as well as Hogan. You know, whatever you may think of him in terms of just actual measurable success you can't really get ahead of hogan as a babyface champion even austin who was uh hugely successful um of course 
But like you said, uh, for better or worse, he was losing the belt like every minute it felt like, yeah. and uh, he was the one chasing a lot of the time. So, so yeah, I mean, it's Hogan when you come to that conversation. Yeah, I think the potential was there for Austin. I didn't watch his whole reign, but I watched the early stuff, and it felt like it, but in that era, you're just never going to get a long world title, right? Right. Well, we'll have our chance to uh, remake our opinions when we finally get there, and that that's something that I am not that familiar with firsthand either, Wes, so, so that'll be a very new experience for both of us. Yeah, it's a scary thing to think about because it was the last... I have been alive almost for 40 years, I dare, I hate to say. Oh Damn near 40 years. It's getting closer. Um, 1991 to 1997 feels like it lasted about 25 years. <laughs> and the 20-plus years after that feel like they've lasted five minutes. Mm. So that time, that's what the end of my fandom was 97, really. I stayed around for some of 98 and 99, but I was not feeling it. I was growing up, and the product was to, for me was not as much of what I wanted it to be. And so we've often heard the attitude there, it doesn't hold up, and I can see that being true. I can see the Russo influence being too much, or I can see finding some stuff we love. So that that's a, one of the giant question marks left in this series. If it's not a little of both, I'll be shocked. Um, yeah. But what will the ratio be? What will the, the specifics be? That's what I'm very excited about. Man, that's great. So Mizfan gave us back one thing to look forward to unearthing uh, in the rest of the series. So oh, <laughs> thank absolutely. you, sir. You got <laughs> it. You got it. Uh, Jesse Ventura, the elephant in the room for me in 1989. Hulk Hogan's not thinking about wrestling, and I really want to see how 89 holds up and how much of the up or down is dependent on the WWF thought that we need to do whatever it takes to promote a movie. Oh yeah. Um, they're going to go all out with this for sure. Uh, you know, I talk about, <laughs> I didn't watch them, but I was watching on some of the primetime episodes. I just looked through kind of like the tags and it looked like every baby face in the company had to do like a mini promo on why you need to go watch no holds barred right away. So they're, they're going to push, very hard on this, uh, and it will not be successful. And it's uh, just another example of like you 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 succeeded at wrestling, and then you didn't stay in your lane, and you did not succeed at other things, and you kind of you kind of hurt your wrestling because of that. So here we are. Yeah, and I don't know how much people talk about that, and I don't don't necessarily say I can blame him if that's what you're trying to do. I understand financially what you're trying for, but there's something about promoting movies to and to me a scripted tv that we get into these very muddy waters where hulk hogan's already trying to explain like you had a problem with me before during and after the movie because we got to work extra hard to be like movie fake wrestling real but but character from fake thing coming into real thing but real things <laughs> also not actually real you know like anytime we get down into those weeds i don't know if we're doing a favor to ourselves i know that we're not in fact <laughs> so <laughs> thank you Oh, man, that was good. All right. Oh, Gene Okerlund, Ravishing Rick Rude, the Intercontinental Champion. I think the strangest thing about right now is that while we know where we're going, Ultimate Warrior has fallen. Rick Rude is champion. Ultimate Warrior is not on the show, so yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, he's on the back burner um, for now at least. He'll come roaring back for better <laughs> or for worse. For worse, we know it's for worse. So. <laughs> Uh, Okerlund scolds Bobby Heenan intensely for something he did almost two months ago, breaking the rules. Okerlund is still hot about this. Heenan says, 
he didn't break the rule that says just win, and you can't argue with that, so... Yeah, and Gene says he broke every rule. I think he interfered one time in the match. Yeah, right? Like, come on. That's not multiple violations. Come on, Oakland. Yeah, he says you're a dreamer, cue ball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Heat and Oakland interplay never gets old to me. Yeah. We need to once in a while slow down and just... Saturday Night's main event, you can, you can love it. It's very polished, very scripted. But the man that makes it feel not scripted, even when you know how damn scripted it is, is Gene Erkelin, because he is just so alive, even in that scripted commentary. <laughs> uh, I lo- occasionally he will show up on Primetime Wrestling for some weird thing, and uh, they'll just have great interaction. In 1993, they hosted All-American Wrestling together, which is kind of like a minor show, mm. but they would do all these little like skits and vignettes, and God, they're just so funny together, like... You know, we talk about Monsoon and Heenan a lot, and rightfully so, but Monsoon, uh, Heenan and Okerlund is high, high on the list as well. Yes. we got to be careful as the time goes by to make sure that Mean Gene gets the credit that he deserves. Absolutely, yes. One of the, the best ever in his role. There's nobody even else in the conversation, so. Yeah. I will take the hit for this one, and someone's got to say it out loud. Gene Okerlund is with King Taxol Jim Duggan. <laughs> I do want to hit you, but I, I would have had to say it. So, yeah. Uh, Jim Duggan is now the king. Despite, like, I could have sworn he was all these guys like, there can't be a king. We don't have kings in America. And now he's mm. got the crown. And it's not just the crown, because later he's going to come out with yes. the music, being carried on yes. the throne by the servants, and all this stuff that he wanted to hit someone with a 2 by 4 for is just further proof that Jim Duggan doesn't actually have any morals he's just a fucking bully he just wants what you have so yeah jim duggan boo boo yeah and there's no coming back from that because if you can give hacksaw one piece of credit he's instinctual and cares about what he cares about but if he's actually thinking and this thing is on purpose then there's no redemption whatsoever for the man and every single thing that he did i was like i'm shocked that he's being carried out i'm shocked that he's wearing a robe and then one second after i'm like i'm not really shocked <laughs> I'm serious. I think the secret to Jim Duggan is he just wants what you have. You're yeah. singing your national anthem? No, I want to do my national yeah. thing instead. Oh, you're the king? No, I want to be the king, you know? Other people carry weapons? No, I have a 2 by 4 You know, I found a weapon, too. Like, I need it all. I need everything. Oh, my God. Ugh. And it's funny, because I thought, is there a scripted symbolism or real-life symbolism? Because the crown... <laughs> will not stay on his head. It falls over his eyes. And when he wasn't doing all the extra stuff, I thought it was almost like a hacksaw is king, but, you know, it doesn't really fit him because that's not who he is. But when he does all the other things, I realized that like the big blue cage, like the rampway, I think that the crown went into business for itself (laughs) in that promo. Uh, You may be right. The crown was definitely registering some protests. He's pulling at (laughs) Shivani and letting you know is not happy to be here. Absolutely. So we got the King Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking on the Intercontinental Champion, Ravishing Rick Rude. Oh, man. I, I Rinse and repeat every comment I ever had about a Duggan match. Like, he doesn't need an opponent. He doesn't need anything out there. His shtick just exists by itself. Nothing can ever affect it. It's the same always. Um, yeah, what can you even say about a match between these two guys? Yeah, I will say that I think Hacksaw kept the pace up, which I give anyone credit for. They're wrestling rude. I also think it's scripted well because 
Hacksaw, Hacksaw is, you're about to win the Intercontinental Champion, and Miz Fan just said you want to take everything from everyone. But you got one thing that I think overrides that is that you are stupid and like you got a temper. So Haku just has to come down to ringside, and Hacksaw is going to throw it all away and jump on the floor and cost himself the matchup, you know, for no reason. No, no, that's not even it. Because uh, I don't blame you. You may have uh, completely stopped watching this match, and I wanted to as well. But no, the Haku thing actually gets sorted. The match continues. Duggan knocks Rick Rude out of the ring. And then in an yes. Intercontinental Championship match, Jim Duggan just stands there and gleefully counts along with the referee so that Rick Rude is counted out. He doesn't win the <laughs> title. And he just, like, he's as happy as Lex Luger in this moment. He's happy yes. even that he won a count out and lost the title. And just what a moron. What you said is true. The overriding theme, Jim Duggan is stupid. Yeah. And you said it. I do have a note saying that, okay, so the All-American was not the next Hulk Hogan. He was the next Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, that's too cruel. But in this moment, yes. That's the only other person now that I've seen behave like that in the history of my life. (laughs) Lex Luger, why did you do it? Oh my God! I can't. Any, you know. Like you might, you listen to some of these shoot interviews. Does he ever talk about why he did that? Because it's so bizarre. Like when I watched it, I didn't know what I was watching practically. Which one? Luger. I don't care about Duggan. Okay. <laughs> He's uh, SummerSlam '93. You mean though? Yeah, yeah. Like it's one of the. All he ever moments. says is like, "Oh man, you know." I was just grateful for the push. Vince was so smart, like, to do that whole, like, I'm like, Vince, they're not going to cheer me on the narcissist. And then he does the great, you know, July 4th. And, you know, he never promised me the bell. He didn't owe me anything. That's that's what you get from Lex Luger. I gotcha. Oh, man. I would love, I don't know if these people exist, but I would love for someone to press him on why the hell he did that. He probably doesn't even remember. But, um, yeah. For God's sake, like, it's just one of the weirdest moments in wrestling. We're, we're going to talk a lot about it in a few years. Yeah. So. The spoiler is you can't come back from it. And if you're comparing Lex Luger to anybody or anything in WWF after, you are the idiot, not Lex Luger. So just <laughs> note that down in a little pad and hold on to it. All right. I love it. <laughs> uh, the weirdest thing I've seen in the Legacy series so far is that Gene Erklund seeing a, a promo with Jim Neidhart and, like, I'm looking for someone else because who is this really about? And I'm like, oh, it's just Jim Neidhart? Okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, the first time, one of the last times, we'll ever see Jim Neidhart standing alone um, in an interview. So uh, he's got some things to say, I guess. Yeah. He's disgusted by Savage's treatment of Liz and the way he acted with the title. And, man, this is the first I heard of it. It's been happening a long time, Jim Neidhart. So where the hell have you been? I noted down that if Jim Neidhart was consistently pushed as a top baby face, he would be in the category with some folks that uh, are unpleasant to be <laughs> with. Because when your first comment is, why is he wrestling Randy Savage? Why? Because I hate him. I was like, dear God, do you? <laughs> right. Jesus. Like, yeah. I guess he was really excited to uh, do that segment with the Honky Talk Man a few years ago because he just hates Savage so much, I guess, apparently. Um, so. Oh, boy. Um, so, yes, Jim Neidhart is fueled by hate. We know this, apparently. He says, oh, God, this is embarrassing. This is the worst part for me. He says, if you want Hogan's title, you got to go through me. And I'm like, I'm flashing back to that period where Sting was champion and, like, every baby face just existed to, like, protect Sting and have no agency of their own. So it's just like, what? What the hell? What's wrong with you, man? Yeah. 
I agree with that, and I also think that if you're a heel, you probably could just walk around him and still find yourself in a title shot. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. I don't know what you prove by beating Jim Neidhart. So. And also, what we're going to get from this promo is that this 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 guy is a great white knight who is standing up for Elizabeth, and the minute he gets to ringside, he's going to try to beat up Sherry the entire <laughs> for the entirety of the match. So, you know. Yeah, a little bit of empty rhetoric here from Jim Neidhart. But you know, he he's doesn't a, have empty rhetoric. I'm sorry, are we going to... No, he's just a silly man. Yeah, he's a goof. I literally wrote that he's a goof in my... Because uh, all his promo, too, is just like... <laughs> yeah. It's like just like goofy laughing, and that's like his gimmick. So, I don't know. Yeah. That's also why Brett is getting better, because I think Brett Hart had to have Jim Neidhart's gimmick in the Hart Foundation as far as their promos and shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, he definitely... Um, I remember, yeah, he's on promos like, oh, well, I uh, was uncomfortable talking, so I let Jim Neidhart talk. And I'm like, man, when you got over that, you were doing yourself a big favor. Yes, absolutely. And I appreciate that he could say that. So that makes me appreciate him a little more because, you know, we talked about this in the forums. You know, his his, his, uh, babyface promos are usually whatever. You know, they can be good or bad. They're kind of just there. But, like, the character work he does at the end of his career uh, at WWF, it's as good as just about anything you're ever going to see. Absolutely so. We're going to have a good time covering that. 97, man, it's going to be a great year, I think, yes. for the most part. So. 97 is my favorite year that I was ever alive and my favorite year of professional wrestling. So. That's beautiful. I can't wait to hear more about that. So. Yes. Um, Jesse... I like that Jesse is just taking over some of these heel pro- He's done with Gene Erkel and like, <laughs> grilling some of these heel wrestlers. So he's back there with Randy Savage and Sensational Sherry. I like also that he doesn't just interview anybody. Like, he goes for particular yes. people. Um, I'm surprised he wasn't back there with Rude, but he makes time for Savage. Um, and this is great. I, gotta, I praised this in the forum. I think it was BK that said this. Somebody did. How Ventura will, like, hold on to his viewpoint until the psycho, like, comes all the way around and he's right again. Um, mm. and that's what he did with Randy Savage, for sure. Because, like, he never gave up on Randy Savage. And now the real Randy Savage is back, and they're like best friends again. So you know he didn't he didn't jump to the other side and cry out that Randy Savage became the worst person ever. He just kind of held on, and uh, he was a bit stubborn and a bit insightful. And between the mix of these things, he did end up right again. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also still an era where narrative goes above everything. So once in a while, Hulk Hogan will get pissed off and he'll yell at Mean Gene Okerlund. Andre the Giant blew up at Jesse over the snake. And we're going to get Randy Savage, you know, saying when Jesse asked about Elizabeth, don't ever say that name again. <laughs> You'd say, like, nobody had trouble setting boundaries in this era. Basically, yeah. <laughs> you know, they would say what they wanted. You know, they didn't make nice. So <laughs> that was the real problem with Savage and Hogan. They should have just blown up at each other a lot earlier. Might have saved the relationship. Probably not. But, you know. That's a good point, though, because it was so forced. Even if Randy Savage, I think Randy Savage at the beginning should have just been like, he should have done to Hogan what Hogan would have been eventually done to him. Be like, I'm the world champion. This is my sidekick, Hulk Hogan. You know, <laughs> and if Hogan can go with it, you got mega powers. If not, it breaks up on day one. I should have given Hogan uh, a robe and some sunglasses. Like, you can wear yeah. these or you can get the hell out. And they should have been the size that fits Randy Savage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only. Uh, so Ventura is indeed with Savage and Sherry, so they're all looking forward to the future. Savage says he's going right after Hogan to get his belt back after he gets past Jim Neidhart. He says Liz 
won't bury him with distractions this time. And Sherry calls Liz chicken-legged. So here yes. we are. It's also... This is what's so great about this, because it's like they're trying to create this triumph every time they're out there. And if you look at it a certain way, you kind of feel it and you're with them. And then you also think, I don't know where Liz is, and I don't know if she's even in the WWF. And yet, like, every conversation is about Liz. So that's also that's a little suspect on the other side. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, she keeps coming up, and only by Savage. Hogan will mm. not whisper a word of Liz, so <laughs> no. again, like some truth about that situation. Well, Hogan's got his hands full with fictional characters coming out of the uh, script and, um, you know, <laughs> He's forgotten all script. about wanting to sit on Randy Savage's shoulder with Liz, so, you know. <laughs> yes. You know. <laughs> oh, man, that's, uh, that's, that's so sad because I don't think Savage will ever lift Sherry up, but if he did, that would be the ultimate. I think Hogan would snap because then, like, that you use two shoulders now, one for Liz and one for Sherry, and you still couldn't include me, brother. We're in a program against each other. Like <laughs> you crossed the line, brother. That's a, oh, poor. That, that would have been the way to. People don't know how to break Hulk Hogan in this era. That's the thing. Hogan knows how to break people, and they don't know how to play his game right back. <laughs> I don't. Could anything break Hulk Hogan in this era? Let's be honest. You know. I don't know if Sherry got the other shoulder. I'd have to wonder. <laughs> Oh, my. So we get to this match, and I'll say this. In the first, like, two minutes of this match, Sherry helps Savage more than Liz did in her entire career. Because one thing I love about Sherry is she will never be afraid to just absolutely kick the ass of the person that her client is wrestling. Like, she is the most believably intimidatingly physical manager i think in the history of the wwf and i'm including when kevin nash was uh managing sean michaels he just crossed his arms and stood in the rampway so i think that's fair (laughs) uh i think she does an amazing job and then story-wise it's also she is the anti-liz in every single way so liz is quiet she's loud liz does not interfere she interferes all the time Mm -hmm. so it's also so rich for story, and it makes you wonder if Sherry is the anti-Liz, is Randy Savage about to become the anti-Randy Savage? You know, what kind of Randy Savage does it take to completely turn your life around like that? I don't know. It's interesting to think about because in many ways he's actually more regressing to, like, a time before the yeah. Mega Powers. That's so true. is he becoming an anti-Savage, or is he becoming, like, more Randy Savage than he was for the past year? I don't know, because I feel like he was more Randy Savage before he was with Hulk Hogan, but it's also it's hard in life to be like and I know because these are things I think about too much, is like, oh, I want to be the guy I was seven years ago. I think I'll be him again. Mm. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's, that's a hard do, you know? It is, yeah, but I think sometimes you like I haven't been myself lately. I have to kind of get back to uh, the things that that made me kind of who I am. So I think there's something relatable in that. And think about it this way: like Savage, his behavior with Liz was really kind of the same as this. But Liz, <laughs> like, she never really approved of it, and you know yes. she didn't like it. And maybe Savage kind of like changed the way he was at times because Liz was there. And now. Man, there's some real life parallels that some people could talk about, but you're you're with someone new, you're in a new relationship, um, you know, romantic or otherwise, and now you're with a person who will enable you, 
who will mm. like increase your toxic behavior, who will just sort of like let you kind of go off the leash and do all mm. the things that the person before was kind of holding you back from. So that's a dangerous place to be in as a person. And uh, Randy Savage is going to have to deal with all of that. That's so rich. So rich, my friend. And also you got the fact that he's so hurt. And so, like, yes. it's going to give him the excuse to do everything that he used to do, but everything that he never would have done. And yeah. he does not need an enabler, and he needs one right now. And Sherry is all of those things. <laughs> and the way – just the, like Savage and Liz together is a toxic relationship, even though it's also iconic. Yeah. So they're going to keep paying each other back, too, because Savage is now – kind of having this relationship with Sherry, I think in part because of what he feels happened with uh, Elizabeth and uh, Hogan. And let us never forget that in the 1990s, oh man, Liz is going to have an affair with Ric Flair and there's going to be pictures by the pool. So, you know, this thing just keeps going. (laughs) Oh, well, yep. We're going to have a lot (laughs) to talk about there. Oh my God. Yeah. So yeah, Savage, uh, I like that you keep bringing up like how he's been hurt. Yes. emotionally because i think that is important you'll see randy savage acting out a lot in the next couple of years and uh it's no excuse to do it just because you were hurt but man like if you want an explanation if yes. you want the psychology behind it you really need to look no further i think i will tell you too as someone i don't know if this is like highly sensitive or just being relational but like i spend all my time trying to make everybody happy because like I'm so aware of what they feel. And so the only times I've ever made great gains in my life has almost been when I've been hurt so bad that I could almost kick everybody out of my life and give myself some space and be angry. And I'm not angry much, but when I am, that's when I make a lot of progress in my life. And I feel like Randy Savage and Sherry are just pushing the whole world back and give us space to do what we're about to do. And that is empowering and frightening at the same time especially with these two because they're not yeah. going to go like they're not going to go go to college or anything you know get a degree they're going to do right. bad things to people so nah but they're going to become the king and queen of the wwf they are they are so they'll, and, they'll, they will accomplish something you can't say they won't so yeah and i'm wondering how that's going to look too so once again i find myself enjoying what savage is doing now and also looking forward to does it evolve you know I think if ever the king gimmick was needed, I think Savage needs something to lord over people right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he does. I mean, he's got Sherry, and he's got to get more. He's got to put a lot of things on because he's lost his title. He's lost, uh, you know, the love of his life or however you want to look at it. He's got to add a lot of things now. He can say, oh, I've got this, so I'm fine, actually. You know, a lot of this is just Brandy Savage trying to convince us he's fine when yes. he's really not. So there's a lot to that. Absolutely. If there's evidence someone's finest that they tell you that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So J- Jesse echoes Biz fan by saying, Sherry's a former women's champion and she can get in there and do damage. And Vince McMahon follows that up with, she can do that all right. She must be at least 150 pounds. <laughs> oh, very Vince McMahon. I wish she'd come and beat up Vince McMahon. Like, I'd pop yeah. that, but you know. <laughs> There's a great moment, I think it's with Bobby Heenan getting beat up and Vince enjoying it, where Jesse says, I wish someone would come embarrass you like that and see what that looks like. <laughs> and we know in less than 10 years that he will be playing that role. So. Yes, Vince will get everything he deserves for his actions in this era, for his um, arrogant attitudes and his uh, inability to see the other side. And it will all, it will all come back on him in the end. Um, yeah. 
He's so full of shit, too, because I was just thinking when we were talking about Jesse going down there to interview the guys he wants. Like, Vince is just as passionate in his arguments about, like, what side he's on and what he agrees with. But he'll, he'll never be bothered to get out of the booth and go do an interview about it. <laughs> That's very true. Yep, he has his proxies, his uh, little minions running around. Yes. So. <laughs> Uh, I used to think that Vince McMahon of this era and the later Vince McMahon were, like, incredibly separate. Like, there's a huge gulf between them. The more I watch this, the more I think that's not really true. Because he is so pompous and he's, like, so self-assured. And, uh, you know, the only reason that this stuff doesn't blow up in his face much earlier is because the P- he's, like, kind of hating the right people. And he has people like Hogan to kind of, like, do it for him. But, um, you know, if that person wasn't around, then who knows? We could have seen uh, Mr. McMahon come out even earlier because uh, he's got this attitude on him. He's got this kind of, like, self-righteous fury that could burst out at any moment. I agree. I think uh, I completely misjudged it. I think it's the exact same person. I don't know if it's Bruce Pritchard or someone else, but I think someone said when he came out with the black eye and did the interview where he explains that Brett wouldn't do business uh, they said that he thought he was going to be the baby face and everybody was going to agree with what he said. <laughs> I mean, that I actually believe. It just sounds very yeah. on brand for Vince McMahon. So. That is the same announcer, but it's like Hogan at the Royal Rumble 92 is the fans who change, not right. not the person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we say that a lot about like Bret Hart and yeah, Hulk Hogan too. You just keep doing the same behaviors and you don't acknowledge that the world changes and it kind of changes around you. So Vince actually rolled with it better than most uh, and i'll always give him credit as a performer but yeah like what a strange uh, attitude and what a strange character this person has and that's what makes that gimmick work because they'll start playing the character yep. where like for the longest time before you really solidify where austin and vince will become it's all these things where he he kind of acts like you know he's still going to be the baby face when he's telling austin to put a suit on or behave himself or not use profanity or something right, you right. know so He's using every bit of the ethos that we're covering and carrying right now to make that uh, Austin McMahon feud what it will be. Absolutely. I'm trying to imagine him telling Hogan to put a suit on in this era. Mm. And I don't know. It's an interesting. <laughs> Hogan might beat him up just like Austin. I, exactly. Yeah. So it's something yeah. like, hmm, that's interesting to think about. There's something to learn for these baby faces. Like the, the Sting John Cena baby faces never appreciated like the Hogan Austin baby face. <laughs> Absolutely. Sting would have put that suit on and the stupid face paint with it. <laughs> oh, for sure. He would have. Uh, yes, thank you for the suit. Great. <laughs> oh, you dumb Sting. All right. Uh, so this match, we haven't talked about it much. Um, I actually enjoyed this match pretty well. Uh, a lot of it is Savage is showing us he remembers how to, like, be a heel, how to, like, feed stuff and make the other guy look really great. And also, like, his energy is super high up here again. So it's good stuff. Yeah, my my favorite note from this, I said, Savage is returning to the form that he can be everywhere at once, but he no longer has to be because where he's not, Sherry is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. I don't know if I get exactly that same, like, 86, 87 energy off of this Savage, but he's definitely returning, like, more to that area, and having Sherry in there as a new component is really beneficial. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, I agree. He's definitely not moving like that guy, but he comes in the ring. He slides out of the ring before anybody ever does anything. Then he's on the top rope, so he's getting back to moving horizontally instead of just vertically into the match. Yeah, yeah, there is a strong similarity, uh, although I, I, it's still unreal to me. Like, 
when you talk about Savage being in multiple places at once, it's crazy how well I can just like visualize that and just the energy mm. he had at that time. Yes. So unbelievable. It's a little different now. It's still really awesome, so I won't speak against it, but I don't know if we'll ever have exactly that energy again. I will say again, because I am, for me as a fan, as a kid and now now, and then I forgot it for the rest of my life, Shawn Michaels always felt to me like the next guy, the next Randy Savage. And so another thing, not counting the second half of his career, which I think is just phenomenal for different reasons, sure. but there is a moment, there's a, there's a feeling for me when Michaels becomes world champion where it's like, I like some of the stuff you did in the past better than what you're doing when you're on top. And, you know, I think Savage is going to be the same way. Sure. I think a lot of people are that way. It's funny. You kind of have to do your best work to get to the top, and then you've already done it. It happens a lot, you know. It's weird, and that's not just wrestling. That's a lot of life, actually. That's a life lesson for you. Man, that's that's a good point. And it's hard to look at because nobody can sustain it, and we shouldn't ask them to. But it's also hard not to look at ourselves or anyone else. When when you see someone in their pure magic, not to be nostalgic at times for it, yeah, to see or feel that again. Absolutely. Even when it's still something like really awesome, like what Randy Savage is doing here. So that's interesting. It's life. Yeah. So Savage is going to get the elbow. He's going to get the pin. And, you know, the last thing Sherry and Savage need, you know, if you're on the other side is start getting some victories on top of the confidence they already have. But they are shooting up the ranks and we are seeing the restoration of Randy Savage because in large part to sensational Sherry. Absolutely so, Savage. Back on that track, he's not filled with doubt. He's maybe filled with inner pain, but he's channeling it into uh, his wrestling. And he was kind of filled with inner pain the whole time. So, you know. Um, Yeah, Randy Savage. He's looking out for Hulk Hogan. I don't know if we're going to see him, certainly not on a pay-per-view, I don't think, ever wrestle one-on-one again, though. So we'll we'll see what forms that takes. Well, he's not going to be in a movie with Hogan. You know, he's going to be overshadowed right now. (laughs) Sadly. Uh, Jesse Ventura is with Slick and the Big Boss Man because it is a world title matchup coming up soon. It's Steel Cage, and also, like so many Saturday nights, many events, the manager has a surprise. (laughs) It's not Andre. It would be more exciting (laughs) if it was, but, uh, yep, yep. Slick explains he arranged a title match for Big Boss Man on TV, and he did it slickly. That's his name. Uh, Slick is such an upper tier manager. He's standing up there. With Heenan and now Sherry on that top tier. And Jimmy Hart and Mr. Fuji are kind of like a little bit lower. So <laughs> I can go with that, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, all right, so uh, we go to the ring. Who is the surprise? We've already mentioned it. It is <laughs> Zeus from the movie No Holds Barred. And I don't know, like... I don't even know what to say exactly because... It's so obviously a bad idea. Like, I don't know. You you, you have to say something about this because I don't know how to articulate this exactly. Okay. So, number one, it happened the year before RoboCop, in case you need to know that. <laughs> because I'm, I'm going to keep tying this shit together, even if the rest of the world never will. Please do. He uh, comes out in an absurd, like, if you want to make it okay, at least dress him like a wrestler, but he's got to have this stupid thing over his shoulders that kind of reminds you, like, RoboCop, like, yeah, not really a wrestler. He's he's, all, he's something else. And it's just, if you want to continue that Hulk Hogan's a dick and you're going to turn him heel, then this feud might make sense because 
this guy to me, I don't think he's a famous actor or anything. So like the only thing I would understand is that Hulk Hogan and Zeus would appreciate each other because they're trying to make something together when neither one of them has a guaranteed career. But for whatever reason, he hated Hulk Hogan before he met him, during the time he met him and after. So makes Hulk Hogan look like a dick. If the, that's the only logical thing you can go on. Mm. And then if you don't go on that, what you're trying to do is, number one, we build him at six feet 11. So we need a big man. And then out of a movie, out of a movie comes Zeus, which tells you we're on NBC for one of the biggest shows in the WWF. And the WWF is secondary to this Hollywood pursuit that Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan are on. So that's the first fucking problem right there. Because, yeah. yeah okay. If I'm big boss man and I've had this feud for over a year and Hogan doesn't care about me because he's like, you would think security would be like, ah, this is not no holes barred. And no, you're not going to go out to the ring and stand on the steps. Uh, if you guys got some issue, uh, that's, that's nothing to do with WWF. And I'm sorry, but you got to go home. I had a, guest pass from slick i assume yeah i guess but and then also but slick also okay because hogan later is gonna say like this is not fake pretty much like coming to the world of wrestling so you know what little respect the slick and the rest have for wwf and wrestling that they're gonna get an actor like if i'm a six foot eleven actor i still might not want to be punched in the face (laughs) you know so like we're just assuming that a random actor can take out the heavyweight champion. Right. This is, again, where this stuff gets into the weeds, and wrestling always is worse for the relationship. No, absolutely. Um, especially because, yeah, like you said, Zeus stands in front of the cage door, and they both kind of, like, vibrate at each other um, for a bit, and then, <laughs> and then Zeus just, like, knocks Hogan over and sort of, like, hammers on him sort of i guess like if you want to generously interpret yeah and then like hogan falls over and he's like lying around and he's selling like somebody shot him and like it's so much more selling than i remember him doing for almost any wrestler Mm. he ever got involved with so that's that's what like puts it over the top to me like if this was just like a weird one-off like okay sure but like yeah if you if this guy just by virtue of being like a large man um, can take out Hogan practically, then what are we even doing in wrestling? Let's just go to Hollywood and find more actors because they're like yeah. <laughs> more powerful than wrestlers, I guess. Yes, because if I am an actor, I don't care what size I am. Even the fact, like, I wouldn't want to be standing close to a cage. Like, my thought would be, like, these two people are about to fight each other in a cage. I don't want any part of this. And so then the next thing is I don't know what his problem with Hulk Hogan is. But is it settled now? You like you came and kicked him and double axe handled him or whatever the hell you did. You know, so now are you feeling better? You know, does that solve it? Does that solve the problem that hasn't even been stated? But you also acted out the whole movie together. So let's also be clear about that. (laughs) Right. You already did a lot. So, you know, uh, yeah, you probably out like uh, doing um, promo like promotion together. You know, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, it's weird, because, like, not for that, we talked about WrestleMania 1, Mr. T is in that main event, so, like, clearly there's some idea already existing that, like, we'll yes. just take a celebrity and put him in a tag match, which is exactly what they'll do, and, you know, it'll be successful, and never mind, this guy's not a real celebrity, he's just, like, a fake celebrity that only exists in your little movie, which will not be successful anyway, but putting that aside, um, 
we've put, I certainly have put at times at the feet of uh, Vince Russo, this idea, oh, well, anyone can be a wrestler, but really it predates him. He just made mm. it worse. So this is kind of uh, a little bit of the same crime here. You just take a guy and be like, well, yeah, we'll make him as good as any wrestler, and it'll just be that way because we say it is, and it's just not true. That's a bad look. It does not do anything. I think this is the beginning of saying we're so rich and wealthy and successful that we can do whatever we want. So why not take the goodwill of what we have in wrestling and, like, sacrifice some of that to be great in wrestling and Hollywood? (laughs) And it's always the nicest thought in the world, but you know what always ends up happening? You're not great in Hollywood and you are beginning to chip away at what you have in the professional wrestling world. It's just we, we talked on a previous show about goodwill being eroded over yeah. time, and it's things like this that you can have all the goodwill in the world, but if you throw something like this at it, you'll start to lose that. And uh, I think whether we agree or not that the overall quality of the company goes down after this, I don't know if that'll be true or not. I think uh, like you can show hey, business kind of like started, it stopped growing at this time. It went the other direction. And, you know, this might be one of the reasons. So, you know, pay attention yeah. to that. Learn from your mistake. Of course you won't, but here we are. I think it's part of the relationship. We talked about Hogan holds the Hulkamaniacs to a high standard. Mm. But also, it's a hell of a thing to be a Hulkamaniac. Imagine Hulk, Hulk Hogan being your favorite wrestler, and he hulks up and comes back in almost every match. So like that's pretty damn good to be able to pay any amount of money to go to any show and know you're going to leave happy. Like most fans don't get to do that with other wrestlers. Right. But there's something about the all or nothing. Like you're either all in for Hulk Hogan or you're out. And Hulk Hogan is almost all in for you in his feuds and his matches and wrestling in that context is kind of everything. So I think going away half the time acting like you care about other things more than wrestling I do think that's going to be part of the problem when they start to have guys who are there all the time and they start to prefer them over Hulk Hogan. Well, you are starting to make your bed right here in 1989. Mm. Yeah, no kidding. Whew, no kidding. It's um, from, I would say, from 1984, let's say, to 1987 to WrestleMania three, WWF and even Hogan fought like hell. They fought tooth and nail to be as great as they could be, to just succeed, 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 to get to this incredible level of success. They got to WrestleMania three, which is like the peak of it all. For the next two years, they, you know, they were still trying, but they were also kind of coasting. They're like, we've hit this peak. We're going to maintain it. We're going to do all this stuff. Now I think we are getting into an era where, just like you said, we have had so much success. We're drunk on it. We think we can do anything. And we're going to start doing the things that we think we should do instead of the things that, you know, maybe the fans think we should do. So it's an interesting progression. And I think we're going to see it increase further as we go along. I agree. 100%. It's weird when you talk about wrestling. Vince McMahon looks down on other companies because he's so superior to them. But even at the height of WWF, if you put him next to Hollywood, he will grovel and shrink his own product and say he is smaller and make Hollywood above his own product within the context of his own product. And you think that's not going to have any effect on you whatsoever? Like, I'm sorry, but it's going to, and it will, and it is, and it does. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it has an effect on Big Boss Man because Zeus, the actor can demolish Hulk Hogan with one or two shots. Bossman can't take advantage of that and win a cage match. 
Oh, yeah, it it must suck on some level, because here you got Big Boss Man, who is absolutely one of the best um, big men ever. I strongly believe that. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's playing second fiddle in many ways to so this guy, Zeus. Um, which, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what this feud really looks like. I haven't seen a lot of it. But if we see Randy Savage playing second fiddle also to Zeus, then I don't even know what we're going to do. Um, it's, it's not going to be a pretty conversation if that is indeed what happens if he escapes hogan just to play sidekick to zeus oh man i don't know what i'll say about that and maybe you can argue like he's paranoid and he just desperately wants revenge but if i wanted revenge on hogan that bad i probably wouldn't take a chance on an actor i might choose a wrestler to be my partner when i try to get that revenge well he saw this show and look how zeus knocked yeah. over hogan i guess so Believe the evidence of your eyes, but yeah, no, I would definitely get someone uh, I could rely on, and not this goofy, weird-looking, cross-eyed, giant guy over here. So, dear <sighs> God, now, now you got me thinking. If Hogan runs through Zeus at SummerSlam, was he overselling just to get Macho Man to choose him for a partner down the road? <laughs> oh, you could go deep in Hogan the Manipulator here. <laughs> yes, um, for sure. Uh, I will say once we get past this. Um, this is a good match. I actually yes. like a lot of things in this match. It's one of this the better match. Hogan matches we have covered. It's uh, good from the commentary and it's good from the matchup, which is you know the peak in this era. That's the combination. Right. It's it's good from the start. Hogan's laying on the floor outside, and uh, if we just forget about why he's lying there, you know, we can start on a good note because Bossman like kicks the cage door mm-hmm. open from the inside, and he goes right after Hogan. And I'm like, yeah, get it, boss man. He's just lying around. You're going to be world champion. I could be so happy with Big Boss Man as the world champion. Holy crap. Yeah, boss man's aggressive like he wants it, which he should be because these opportunities do not come often. He almost knocks, I think, Earl Hebner's head off and he kicks the cage up in at one point. Yeah, Earl has to, like, scatter out of the way for yeah. sure. Um, we see Bossman has definitely been like watching Hulk Hogan matches. He's in his playbook because he's choking Hogan with the shirt. He's taking on every advantage, and uh, it's true. This is what Hogan would usually do. And Ventura even points that out. It's like, wow, you know, it's a great match for Hogan because he can cheat as much as he wants. So yes, it's right on point. That's a great commentary that will go throughout the match where uh Vince McMahon will applaud Hulk Hogan cheating because that's what a cage match is and then two and a half seconds later Bossman will get the chain and Vince will be like this is ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> yep um, yep he'll move those goalposts repeatedly oh my gosh this reminds me a little bit of like I think between Hogan and Bundy and Hogan and Bossman like Hogan's got a good formula here with big men and big blue cages well absolutely I'd say this is even like kind of an upgraded Hogan Bundy match, and like we talked about, I already liked that match a lot, and then you got this one, so wow, I gotta say, like that the superplex off the mm. top of the cage is probably the greatest bump that we have seen in this entire uh series so far, and it, oh, man, the big boss man, how do people not appreciate the big boss man? I still see all the times comments of like, well. This was good, even though Big Boss Man was in it. And I'm like, shut up! This dude, like, superplexed off the top of a cage, and he's, like, 300-plus pounds, and he'll, he's got the greatest punch like, I've ever seen. He can do all these things. Man, Big Boss Man is where it's at. He is awesome. He is number three after Andre and Vader in terms of big men. So respect the Big Boss Man and do it immediately. Yeah, that's suplex. 
rocked my world. I'm a twin. I'm, I am living in 2020 as a wrestling fan, and that suplex rocked my world. Bossman's not standing on the top of the cage. All that he really, the only thing that a Bossman's that is on the inside of the cage is his head. So we're pulling from like just the head, and Bossman is going to come all the way up and all the way over. They are going to land. It's impressive for Bossman. It's impressive for Hogan, and they sell it just right, which is pretty much the match itself might be over because we just did a big thing. Yeah, they they do keep going even, but man, it's an incredible moment. This feud is great. You can totally see why it is one of the best drawing house show feuds of all time. And uh, it's one of Hogan's best feuds, and I, I don't know for sure, but it might be his last really great feud mm-hmm. for a very long time. Because I'm thinking ahead, and I'm not thinking of anything that approaches this level. So you got Hogan and Boss Man really doing a great job, and uh, possibly just one last time here. Yeah, that's, that's sad to think. It's also Hogan and Orndorff had an amazing big blue cage match as well. Absolutely, they did. Yeah, no, man. So He's got to uh, run with it. It makes me sad that we're getting out of this era where Hogan actually does things that are good because at yeah. some point we're going to have just nothing but bad things to say and he's going to deserve all of it. It's been nice in a way, you know, as much as I dislike Hulk Hogan, it's been nice to go to this era where he kind of is almost what he says he is. Like he's yeah. a guy who who can hold this company up and be so entertaining at times. And yeah, it's just it's a different world that you don't think about in 2020. Yeah, because we're talking about maybe he only has one more match, but even that that he has left Randy Savage and he's still having like the best match on the show. Yeah. Like that's a weird thing to talk about. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think out loud, but uh, there's not a lot coming up. <laughs> I'd say he's got all the stuff with Zeus. It's going to be ruined by Zeus and beefcake will be involved. And it'll be bad for that. And then uh, at some point it's, it's warrior and we're not really excited about that. And then he's got earthquake and I'm not really that excited about that. And, um, God, what if Sid, I think, is that 91 maybe? And he's, he's got, got Sergeant Slaughter before oh, Sid. Oh, Sergeant Slaughter, that's terrible. So that's like really bad. Then he's um, got Sid. Then he's got Sid. Uh, I guess he's got the Flair feud, which was like kind of fun, but also it wasn't really about him and Flair. It didn't yeah. really pan out. Undertaker. It was a little thing with Undertaker, which is sort of interesting, but, uh, you know, I don't know. That's a long ways away. So maybe we'll see some good stuff in that period. That's um, about it, because he retires after that for a while, then he comes back with the Yoko stuff short. So, like, that's the, yeah. we pretty much run down the rea- the rest of the next three or four years. Yeah, there's not a lot of good Hogan stuff left, um, which is sad, because there's actually been more good than bad Hogan stuff up to this point, but he's going to mess up that ratio real fast here. But he's also going to do it almost completely neatly yeah. in a way that separates the 80s from the 90s. <laughs> that's true. How, how, how considerate of him. Yeah. Just that nice dividing line, I suppose. That's something, because then, like, what? when did he start with WWF? Was it 84? 80, very end of 83, I think. Okay, so that's about five years, and then we take 89, 90, 91, 92, 93. Uh, so we got about five, five, six years of just brilliance, and then five or six years of just riding the waves, and then, <laughs> you know, we got to go to Hollywood, because, so... He gives you almost the exact amount of time before he turns heel. Like, this much time where I earned it, this much time where I'm full of shit. And then he has to just, like, burn the whole thing down and become Hollywood Hogan. So, <laughs> I have no idea it was reasoned out that that uh, divided that perfectly and evenly. I said from the start, 80s Hogan is very different than 90s Hogan. But I didn't know exactly how spot on that might end up being. So, here we are. Yeah. 
God, and then maybe the greatest abomination is he leaves us with Ultimate Warrior as the world champion. <laughs> Isn't that funny, too, that at the same time, excuse me, um, we got Hogan putting over Warrior and Flair putting over Sting at almost the exact time as well. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a weird parallel. I remember thinking and talking about that last time when we did WCW, so very strange. One more punch for WCW, and then we can move on, because I was, I was thinking about this last night. Um, if the if WCW, they become amazing with the Nitro run, eventually with the NWO, with all that, but we know Bischoff did not appreciate WCW. You guys, short as hell, didn't appreciate Lex Luger. But I think about right now, in 1989, like we are, who is running the show? Who is the top wrestler's? In the business and almost in the history, because it's such a big era, who's going to take wrestling you know, through the 80s into the 90s? Well, WWF, right now, until Warrior comes in, is Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Sure. WCW, it is Ric Flair, Sting, and Lex Luger. Mm. On the first Nitro, all five of them guys are on the same show and all interact with each other. True, very true. Like, that is what you got in one space. And Luger comes out. In Flair Sting, so you got all of them out there. Then Luger Sting and Savage all come out, and Hogan Bossman, so Bossman's there as well. Yeah. Then you got that tag, you know, that tag setup that they never deliver. Instead, they go in the giant dungeon of doom. But my lord, 1980, everything that's happened in 89 across promotions, all of them guys are on the very first Nitro, which is a one hour show. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something. It is. I mean, there's a reason WCW uh, overtake overtakes WWF at times, and uh, it's usually well earned, you know, for all uh, the faults yeah. that they may have. Ah, man, it's crazy. Yeah. So this is you're talking about Hogan might be at the end of one run. Where's Bossman going? Is he going to be a heel for a while and then turn face? Like, where's Bossman go from this? I don't know when exactly, but at some point he will turn face, and he will have a really successful baby face run i think we've talked about before this is a guy who will be so popular he will get characters kind of like spawned around him yes. like the mountie and uh, nails which is not that good but you know it's something that was made just for him basically yes. so he's gonna have a great baby face run as well and i gotta believe you know it's on the strength of his work here and how well he drew with hogan and they're like wow we really got to do something with this guy and they do you know to their credit to be a lot of really good big boss man stuff coming yeah, so we got a lot to look forward to. Again, maybe the main event's going to go sour, but we still got the tag division, the Intercontinental title. We got sure, yeah. lots of talent throughout the WWF. So this has been the big mystery that we have wondered about. I think 89 begins where we have the most questions, so we're diving into it now. Absolutely so. It's funny because, yeah, I'm not as familiar with 89 because they've got Shivani. And Bobby Heenan basically stops doing all commentary, so there's a lot of shows that I just didn't watch when I was watching through for the Heenan stuff, so it is a little more mysterious to me. Yeah, and we got, I think, a summer Saturday night's main event. Is I wonder if that's it before SummerSlam? I would you think, because it's in July, and it would be yeah. a lot to cram another one in before August, so yeah, we're getting there. We're getting close, though. Man, this is exciting. I... I'm going to keep the faith that, you know, again, we judge it as we see it. So, you know, there is a very real possibility that Zeus will not be the worst man in the SummerSlam main event. So. <laughs> With Brutus Beefcake in there, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. We'll find out. Oh, boy. You know that guy, Zeus, the guy who played him, was in uh, The Dark Knight. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, on the um, 
remember there's like there's the two ships that are gonna blow up and one is full of prisoners and there's yes. like one prisoner he takes it he's gonna like blow up the other boat but he actually does the right thing that's that's zeus so there you go oh hey look at that he does a good job in that so i have no idea if he's good at anything else but he actually does good in that one so there you go and if he doesn't attack any of his colleagues outside of work, then we have to think it must be Hulk Hogan. That's the I, problem. I think so. he never fought Christian Bale. Christian Bale might have deserved yeah. it, depending on who you ask. So, there you go. Oh, man. Hogan is Hogan's getting it done, though. This is a man that knows. Like I said, he beat Savage at just the right time. He kept Boss Man to have a great Saturday Night's main event matchup. Yep. And then he's already got his feud set up past Boss Man. So. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Hogan's never at a loss for something to do, certainly. Um <laughs> So, yeah, this match kind of uh, goes into the finishing stretch. Big Boss Man gets bloody. Uh, Slick knocks out Earl Hebner. He goes in. He's going to try to stop Hogan. Um, Boss Man tries to escape at the same time, but Hogan's beating them both up. Hogan cuffs Big Boss Man to the ropes. He goes to climb out. I don't know why they don't ever just use the door. Big yeah. Boss Man tries to use the door because he's on the side. with uh, He's cuffed to the ropes, like, right next to the door. And I got to praise him because, like, this, like, I was very hyped about this, like, as I watched it. Of course, I know who's going to win, but just the timing of it was really well done because that boss man cuffed to the ropes, and he's trying to, like, slide his feet out the door, and he can almost reach, and Slick is trying to uncuff him. You got Hogan climbing over. The timing of it is just, it's really excellent, so I really got to praise him for that. Yeah, you get and you get a desperation off the boss man because yeah, yeah. so few wrestlers get that close to Hogan's belt. And then to be that close to a victory, but you know, man, you got to get it done. And, and I would not want to be slick because under that kind of pressure, the most basic thing like unlocking hang, you're not going to do oh, a good job of it. No way. Probably throw the key out into the crowd by mistake. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just and there's only one man who ain't sweating the moment. I'll tell uh, you that much. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, so Hogan does win. He corners Slick back in the cage. He gives him, like, kind of a cheeky high five, and then he throws him around. <laughs> so, you know, he also wears Slick's hat because he yeah. also just likes to have things that other people have. Hogan loves to wear the thing of his opponent. <laughs> like, if he can get his hands on it, he'll always wear it. I remember he wore, like, Adrian Adonis's, like, bonnet one time, yeah. and he'll wear – if you have a hat or anything, he'll wear it for sure. So It's the ultimate, like, you know – play on the other because you know like think about if you he took everything that savage had yeah. and savage took nothing of his you know it's like a super masculine uh victory <laughs> yeah, i'm taking your gimmick i'm taking your image i'm taking your everything and you take nothing from me mm. i think the same thing with the cage baby faces don't go through the door they climb the cage <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i guess just for the hell of it so yeah you know, not take that easy route like some old some old heel might do. <laughs> uh, so yeah, good match, good Hogan match. You know, if that's your game, and definitely a good Big Boss Man match. No, it was a great matchup. It was what it needed to be. Yep. It felt like a blow off. It felt like you know that was coming off of some things. It had energy. It had great. It had good psychology. It had good back and forth. It had the big blue cage. It had the superplex. What else do you want, folks? Yep. Uh, they got it done. Top tier. I love it. Jesse Ventura is with Bobby Heenan and the Brain Busters because we still have a tag team title matchup on this show. Absolutely. Heenan and Ventura both shame the narrative that he, the Brain cannot manage a, ta a champion because now he's got Rick Rude and he may have uh, the tag team championships as well after this match. Heenan says, when one of us wins, the whole family wins. There's that family unity we talked about before. 
Absolutely. Arn Anderson says, Jesse, I think I'm thinking the belts are already ours. Mm, I love it. I love it. I'm very excited about this match because I think this is a great match. This is probably the best match on this show um, to me, just in terms of like being a great match in and of itself. So there's some great stuff coming up here. Yeah, smash of demolition says, beat them, we'll demolish them. So. <laughs> hey, that's why they're called that. Go figure. Yes. Tag hey. title matchup. I think understated even in the Legacy Series so far, so we need to say it. The Brain Busters have been some of the biggest game changers I've seen in the entirety of this run because mm. they have put the whole tag division on notice and it's paid off and now they're in the tag title match. Absolutely so. And uh, also as well as just in terms of the, their in-ring work, I can't stress enough how these guys came in and were just a cut above almost everybody yes. in the company. And they were so good, like we've talked about, Vince McMahon didn't even, like, fuck them around. So that's, like, the most <laughs> incredible thing at all. That tells you how good this team was. It does. It's an amazing thing. And it's sad because I think Vince, you know, plays with their money in the second, like, in their second uh-huh. opportunity. I think they otherwise were going to stay in the WWF. And I think it's a bigger loss to me for WWF than it is for the Brain Busters. Well, like I talked about before, especially sucks for Tully because he, he'll never really work again yeah. after this run. And uh, it's awful because he's wonderful in this. And the thing he got busted for, the Coke, is something that, like, holy crap, have you ever seen a Hulk Hogan promo? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like his nose could be white still. So yes. it's really unfair. to poor On that very right? tan nose, too, so you can you can see it clearly. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, his mustache is actually brown, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So... Here's what a brain buster match is against uh, other matches. You know, in any matchup, you can get this nice little double clothesline, like one baby face running over both heels. It's fun to watch. It's got good energy, and it's a, it probably leads to a good match. Here at the very beginning, you get a double clothesline attempt. They take Tolly down. Arn ducks under, and he's pointing to his head, showing off, and then he gets clotheslined. It's always the extra two or three steps. That make yes. a brain buster match. Oh, yes. Whether it's offense or defense or bumping or whatever, they always chain, like, a bunch of stuff together. Yes. And they turn a regular match into just, like, a beautiful um, collage of wonderful moments. You're, like, you can't look at this match and not see something great happening. So, oh, it's awesome. I also like, this is my feeling. You tell me what you think. This is, like, the tag team equivalent of Flair versus Luger. Um, where it's like the, the big bumping, like Kagi, super talented heel against like the super strong, like over smash you up baby face. I think like they work it in kind of a similar energy and it comes out very good for it. Yeah. Um, I was about to say it needs more military presses, but I think this is, (laughs) yeah, this is the one that on the floor smash is going to stand in military press. I think totally throw him in and the axe is going to clothesline him over the other side. So, yeah, you got your military presses. You got your clotheslines, friend. So I think you check those boxes. <laughs> I love it. And they also uh, throw better double axe handles than anybody. There's mm. axe just pummeling people. It's one of my favorite things. I love that. Yeah. And the arm plays the fool the whole time. He does a British Bulldog style standing suplex mm. um, on demolition and then stands up and shows off with uh, – this is also a Luger Flair spot, so then because the babyface stands up from the suplex yep. and it's like got his back turned. So Arn, Arn is just putting in that work as always. Yeah, I won't say because Demolition, like they're big veterans, acts especially. So I'm not going to say the Brainbusters taught them like a whole lot, but how many guys do you think Arn and Tully sat down with 
and just like blew their minds or like, let's do this spot. And like the crowd will go crazy for it, you know, because that's all NWA style is like figure out how to work every crowd in the world mm. and just like get all those pops and make other people look good. And that's just like, so core NWA of this time. So I don't know. I felt like they raised the game of everybody they came across. No, they came from day one. They matured the tag division in WWF. Absolutely. I don't need to know who they talked to and who they did not. If you've got eyes and you're watching, it's like, we got a good tag division, but the, the level of sophistication, I keep saying this, it's going to become my new thing. I think about in wrestling and life, lots of people are good at the vertical, like building something up, a straight singular line. This is another group. They, they went horizontal. So we're doing stuff on the left side, the right side, and we're building it from a wider foundation. And I think that's what they changed because if you got someone building something from three different levels and everything else is like a singular rise. You got to get your stuff right. Or the brain busters are going to take over the tag division. <laughs> I love it. I love that metaphor as well. Cause I think too often nowadays you see guys who build only vertical, like they'll mm-hmm. put something on top of something on top, 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 top yourself, <laughs> do something crazy or something more eye popping. And yet you've got guys like this who focus everything on building a foundation. And guess what? They actually built a house that you can live in yes. and not some crazy tower that's about to fall over. So That's awesome. That's a house I want to live in, too. So. Hell yes. Absolutely. Uh, so this is great stuff. Go watch this match. This match that you just have to watch, I think, to truly appreciate. Um, we get uh, we get the spot where Tully gets dumped out onto Bobby Heenan's head, and Heenan has to almost be like dragged mm-hmm. away from ringside because he's so pissed off. Everything kind of goes crazy. The referee... Just Demolition, and Ventura is right about this, as he usually is. Demolition just, just like, throws the referee aside for almost no reason. They get themselves disqualified, and their titles are saved. And Ventura's like, they did it on purpose. And I'm like, well, yes, they must have, because, like, it was a very deliberate thing. So here we are. I don't blame them either, because, again, they came in and kicked ass like they always do. But you know what? Again, I just said we're dealing with three different sectors here like if you kick their ass you won one out of three areas so you're still losing two out of three so you need to regroup and come back another day absolutely yeah and uh, they will have more matches between them this is uh, another one of my favorite feuds of the of, of 89 but you can say that about just any feud that the brain busters had you know because they'll have demolition the rockers and they'll do other stuff and they'll just be they'll just be brilliant they're, they're the brain busters yeah there's a moment where it's not a test of strength, but it's a test of power. You know, I think Arn loses it. And as he's coming down to fall down, his mouth is wide open. Like, he's the most shocked person in the world. But, you know, he's on his way down. And I wrote, there is some, there's some context where Arn Anderson is the GOAT. I don't know if it's, like, in moment, like, experiencing something as if you didn't know it was going to happen. But there's a context the Ricky Steamboat thing at Clash of Champions. There's so many others where he is the GOAT of something. Yeah, he's the the, the micro goat like not the macro perhaps but like the micro all the small details i don't know if there's anybody better in the world ever than arn anderson at hitting every small detail and being engaged in every small moment and making it better so that that's what he is to me yeah and he was a guy who would not break kayfabe now we of course he's on a podcast sadly but uh for the for for almost forever he would not time it was time but no i do appreciate that about him you know, and it's in those moments where that comes through. And so that was also interesting. I also thought it was interesting that Bobby Heenan, 
uh, lost in the IC title match, but kept the belt, and he won in the tag title match, but did not get the championship. Yeah, again, this era is not good for finishes, so, uh, you know, take that for what you will. It's a wild ride to be Bobby Heenan. <laughs> it must be. I can't imagine. I've seen more Heenan than most anybody, I think, and I still, I don't even know, like, in this guy's head. Yeah, so Jesse Ventura's with Randy Savage, and again, I'm going to get my title back, and I'm going to teach Hulk Hogan a lesson. <laughs> yep, yep, everybody says, oh, yeah, at the end of this <laughs> yes. promo, so they're all on the same page here. And Sherry says, Hulk Hogan, what are you going to do when the madness runs wild on you? <laughs> if I were Hogan, I'd be scared uh, of Sherry more than anything, because... Like, Savage, we talked about Savage, it's like he's filled with insecurity deep down, and, like, you can do things to hurt him. How the hell do you hurt Sensational Sherry? Like, mm. I don't think it's possible. Like, I don't think any trick would work on her. Hogan should just be glad he's, like, three times bigger than her, because if they were close to the same size, I think she'd just wad him up and throw him in the trash can, <laughs> so. She definitely would not fall for the mind games. Like, she's not playing that with him. No way. No way. She's impervious, I think, to uh, to any mind game. Well, so then uh, we go back to the ring for Jimmy Snuka versus Zukov, and uh, this is going to be very short. Jimmy Snuka gets the victory uh, with a big splash. Yeah, there there are some guys who you give them two minutes and they'll do something fun. Boris Zukov and Jimmy Snuka are not yeah. those people at all. So. <laughs> No, nah, that one I think could have just stayed off the card, and, and uh, they could have done an extra two uh, oh yes, and you know. <laughs> Would have been just as good. Hey, I'll give props to Slick. He came back out with his client, uh, even though Hulk Hogan just beat the shit out of him. Yeah. So, you know. And because he gave, he just lost the biggest push, like Boss Ben. That's got to be a hard uh, moment in the locker room when they go back realizing where they are. That was his best shot at the world title. I don't know if he'll get another world title feud, so. Yeah, then you then you're in the the Zukov Snuka match. So yeah, yeah, good character up. though. Yep, for showing absolutely. up. We finish out the show with uh, perhaps the greatest cost of being a Hulkamaniac, as Hulk Hogan tells you that you have to go see No Holds Barred. So yeah. that's a, I'd rather be choked and not know what was happening, or maybe fall into the ocean due to an earthquake. But no, you got to go see his movie. So. And this is exactly what I'm talking about, though, earlier in the show. So this is exactly how this promo goes. Hulk Hogan talks about the problems with Zeus's head. Then he says, forget about Hollywood. Come to WWF. And then Gene Oakland says, let's talk about your movie. And then they talk about No Holds Barred for the rest of the promo. <laughs> yep. It's not a good look for anybody. So, oh, well, it won't be the last we hear about this. So, so that right there wraps up the first Saturday night's main event post WrestleMania five. We are in a new chapter, new calendar, WWF wise. Uh, Zeus is on the arrival. Randy Savage is on the rise. Hulk Hogan knows kind of right now, I think, who he's got to face down. And we all have questions about how this is going to go down. We absolutely do. We have one Saturday night's main event between here and SummerSlam. We'll feature a two out of three falls rematch between Demolition and the Brainbusters. Wow. We'll feature Randy Savage again on the card with Sensational Sherry. Greg Valentine will make an appearance. Hulk Hogan will be there. It'll be uh, an interesting card for sure. I can't wait for that Demolition Brainbusters match. Oh, it's going to be so good. I've seen this one before. I can't wait to watch it again because it's a great one. 
I also noted that Arn Anderson is bigger and smaller for not being with Ric Flair. Mm. Yeah, I, I know just what you mean. Um, I almost kind of prefer him with some separation from Flair. Yes. So, I don't know. There's there's something to that. I think I prefer it. I don't know why, but I, I just super enjoy him just out there doing his thing. Right. But, you know, you look at the other side of the picture, like they're going to dominate the world title and the tag and the main event when they're together. But... I don't know. It's just Arn Anderson is never going to be an overstated guy. It's kind of what I like about him. Mm. So you've got to give him room to let his actions kind of do the proving for him. Absolutely. And when Arn Anderson is near Ric Flair, you know, at some point, whatever Arn's doing is just going to be secondary. Yeah. It's going to be about what Ric Flair's doing. So having him be out in his own and just have this sensationally great tag team run with him and Tully just doing their own thing, it's great in my book. I'm very happy with it. Yeah, and you know, I won't say this to the NWA when it's around WCW because that's supposed to be my top promotion, and it still is. But you know, I, I'm curious. Let's say it was '92, and we have this group. It's not the Horsemen, but it's Bobby Heenan with Ric Flair and the Brainbusters and Mr. Perfect or whatever. Like, I'm interested to, see, to think about how similar or different they would have been in that WWF stable. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But then again. Look at them being separated. Look what happens when Arn goes back. That's when you get Dangerous Alliance. That's mm. when you get uh, He's Just a Man. All this stuff when Flair is on the other side. So, again, like sometimes when they're separated, they're actually doing some of their best work. That's, that's a good point. Absolutely. It's, it's strange because, you know, again, the narrative is like you almost feel like the horsemen were together forever. <laughs> you know, yeah, but, but they, they really weren't, you know. Someday it would be very nice to go back and watch the original run of the Four Horsemen, and I don't even know what that format looks like exactly. Um, but yeah, like the thing that made them famous, it's got to be quite notable because a lot of the later incarnations kind of like pass by in the night almost. Um, you know, either they're not as impressive or they're very short or there's some member that kind of like sucks. So yeah, I don't know. Four Horsemen are undeniably great uh, in yes. many of their versions, but uh, they're also sort of weird to look at historically. You almost know them by reputation better sometimes than by what they actually did. It's important to say that. I think we will, we will get flamed if we just leave it at <laughs> the best they ever were or separate from each other. You know, the, well, I can't say that. Like, I'm thinking of 95 when they had to wrestle each other and they had the whole feud. And like even like that later stuff, which is probably not even the best of Flair, um, you know, some of that is so great. You can't yes. really say anything against that to say nothing of like the true peak of the eighties. So I would like to see that stuff. I, Cause I always wondered why I would think of JJ Dillon because like he doesn't yeah. seem that interesting to me, but yet he's part of that legacy horseman. So like, I, I'm curious about how I feel about him. Plus Barry Wyndham is so good in that, you know, in the eighties. And also just to get with like the, the Magnum TA stuff, uh, Nikita Koloff, Dusty Rhodes, Absolutely. you know, so there's a lot of stuff back there that still needs to be addressed unearthed and brought out for the bigger conversation that we're having for sure ole anderson you know reputed to be such an amazing promo in his own right and very integral to all the early horseman stuff and now you know we, we can't even talk about him hardly um because he doesn't exist because he's he's on the outs with everyone because he's a bad yeah. person but you know that, yeah. that can happen to anybody so yes. there's just a lot of stuff there that's kind of mysterious and it's covered by narrative it needs some unearthing you might even say yeah so, you know, perhaps that stands in front of us one day. But it's an amazing thing to watch because 
we are seeing a special kind of Arn in that it's special because he's not in a special place. And that's going to be the same thing with Ric Flair because yeah. weirdly enough, like they go without Flair and then they come back and Flair goes like, it's almost impossible that that will happen, yeah. but we're going to see all of that in this run. Yeah. So weird. So weird that happened that way. It did, but, um, but it will happen. We, we will see flair later. We will see uh, Arn and Tully for a while longer, and we'll see a lot of interesting stuff in the Legacy series, no doubt. All right, anything else we want to say on this episode before we wrap it up? That is it for me. I am I am nervous. I am curious to see what 89 is going to bring us, and even 1990. So we're on a little bit of a, an off-road right now, then we'll see where it goes. Absolutely well. Thank you for listening and for joining us. If you ever want to shout us out, as I mentioned, I am on Twitter. I am at Spectral Gent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Check out the other great programs on LOP Radio. Got a lot of great ones. Definitely check out the great material on www.loporums.com. You might have to type that whole URL, or you can navigate through WrestlingHeadlines.com, our main page. A lot of great written material. Hope you will join the conversation. That is everything we have got for you this week. We'll be back next week with more Saturday Night's Main Event, more bonus content. It's going to be great. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Absolutely. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. Discovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature
just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet you. He's the one that's scared. The undiscovered.